your ride ready for spring driving with Dobbs Spring Break Deals. Money saver deals you can use on Goodyear, Pirelli, Cooper, Michelin, and General Tires. Expert auto service, too. Click on GoToDobbs.com for spring break deals now. For over two decades, E&B Granite has been St. Louis's trusted name for kitchen, bathroom, and outdoor space renovations that are guaranteed to bring new life into your living spaces. Their skilled team will provide you with personalized customer service, fast turnaround times, and prices you won't find with big box stores. Support local and schedule free consultation at enbgranite.com or call them at 314-645-9300 or better yet, stop by the showroom and explore their massive inventory. Again, that's enbgranite.com. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on GoToDobbs.com today. Two pitch and a swing and a miss. Ashby strikes out the side. About as impressive as you can do it. And the Brewers snap the Cardinals' winning streak. It ends at 17. It was an impressive streak. It was an impressive streak, and now it is over. And with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Time to start anew again, Alex. And yesterday, the uh, the Cardinals' winning streak ended at 17 games. I think this is for the best. I, after thinking about it a little bit more overnight, and yeah, maybe this is just me hindsight and playing the results, but I do think there are some positives to come out of the Cardinals losing that game last night. And I know that sounds a little counterproductive, but allow me to explain. Yeah, please, please explain why losing is a good thing. So here's why. Part one, it takes the monkey off of their back of having to ride this streak potentially into the playoffs. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, but it does add a little bit more pressure. They're going to be asked about it all the time, and that's just something that if you don't have to deal with it, I think it's better than the alternative. Part two, and I think this is the more important part, frankly, for me. They lost the streak with a lot of their backups in that game. They lost it the day after they were able to clinch the postseason. And if there's any one individual game where it feels the best, never feels good to lose, but it feels the best to end that streak I think it was yesterday when you've got like four guys that are not regulars that are going out there you go to your pen and it's a lot of the eh pieces to your bullpen that end up coming into the game Miles Michaelis is really this is more about tune-ups for him right now than it is about really going full bore if you were going to lose any individual game during this streak this was the one that for me it left left the the least amount of a bad taste in my mouth yeah I I mean look I, I don't It's not like I'm upset that they lost the game. I mean, I know exactly what Mike Schilt did. Like, I'm not looking at that game last night going, Mike, why didn't you play all your starters? What are you doing here? That's why. Were they really? I mean, yeah. I don't know. When they walked in, they were all smiles. (laughs) It was just champagne, BK. It's not like it does anything to you. Should have had the Seagrams like I usually do. Can handle that stuff, no problem. But, I mean, look, you did have your backups in. And I I do agree with you on the sense that, look, you don't have that hanging over you of, oh, you got to keep the streak going. You got to keep winning. That gets a little nerve-wracking. I would have liked to seen a little bit more competitiveness in that one just because you are playing your backups. And those backups are going to be coming off of the bench for you in big-time scenarios. And an 0-for-2 game, although there were two walks for Matt Carpenter. Most of the backups were fine. 
Matt Carpenter had the two walks. Lars Newbar had a hit. Jose Rondon with a hit. I mean, most of the backups not named Paul DeYoung were pretty solid in that game last night. I'm not mistaken. They only had three hits, and two of them came from your backups. Mm -hmm. Dylan Carlson was the only regular that had a hit last night. So I was fine with it. Attaboy, DC. (laughs) I would have liked to seen a little bit more competitiveness. But hey, that's what it's for, right? I mean, it, it... it wasn't a pretty game overall for you, but if you were going to have one of these during this stretch towards the end of the season, that was the one to have it. And today I've already seen the lineup. We're not going to play the lineup game. Spoiler alert. They've got a bunch of backups out there once again, and that's to be expected. I think you're going to see most of the starters back in there again this weekend. It was just announced a little while ago from uh, Mike Schilt. Both Yadier Molina and Edmundo Sosa are expected to get some playing time this weekend for the Cardinals. That's big because that's one of my biggest remaining questions for the rest of this regular season. What are you going to be able to get out of those two in particular? But Alex, last night was all about the pitching for me. We can look at the lineup. Yeah, it didn't look good. They they looked sleepy. They looked lifeless. They looked like they had just been up until 3 a.m. the night before partying because they clinched the playoffs, as they should have been, frankly. But last night for me was about the pitching, and Greg Amsinger was on with the morning show earlier today, and he talked specifically about Jack Flaherty, who we saw in his second outing since his return from the injured list. I think you still put him on the roster because of max effort, big moment could get really great stuff out of Jack Flaherty, but we really haven't seen that overpowering stuff yet. And it remains to be seen who that swing guy will be. I think the Cardinals were hoping Flaherty could be a weapon. Uh, One game at a time at this point. Uh, It's good to see that if you're a fan of the Cardinals, Max Scherzer has back-to-back clunkers on the mound because that game is everything, that wild card game. Uh, But Flaherty, if the Cardinals can get past the Dodgers, becomes a very important person for this wild card to World Series pursuit. I agree with him that Jack Flaherty could be an X factor. And I got into a conversation with Brendan Schaefer last night who covers the Cardinals for KMOV. And he said he would include Jack Flaherty on the wild card round roster, but he's not sure if he would include him on the NLDS roster. And I told him it's interesting because I'm kind of the opposite. I think I would include Jack Flaherty on the NLDS roster, but I'm not so sure about the wild card roster. And here's why, Alex. This is as much about preventing Mike Schultz from doing something he may regret as it is anything else. I don't know what you're getting out of Jack Flaherty right now. As I watched him last night, he looked better than he did in his first outing, in my opinion, but he still didn't look like Jack Flaherty to me. 17 pitches, just nine strikes on the game. He didn't have overpowering stuff. He did get his first strikeout since coming back. That was nice to see. I'm just not all in on the Jack Flaherty experiment just yet out of the bullpen. I don't know what to expect from him. So for me, in a wild card one game scenario where you're trying to get your best possible results and you have zero margin for error, I wouldn't want to see him in that game right now unless we see something that changes over the weekend. I'm going to put him on both my rosters okay. because he's Jack Flaherty and he may not be his best, but I'm still going to have him available to me. I don't know if I'm going to use him, but I'm going to have the option of Jack Flaherty. If I need him there, Mike Schultz, not going to go to him just to go to him. Mike Schultz going to go to his guys who get the outs. And we all know who that is. It's Luis Garcia. It's TJ McFarlane. It's Genesis Cabrera, Gallegos and Reyes. Andrew Miller. No, not mm-hmm. Andrew Miller. Although he did get three strikeouts. So not bad. Did give up the run though. That's five guys that I just mentioned. Dakota Hudson might be an option for you. Six guys before I even consider Jack Flaherty. 
but I'm still putting him on my roster because if things get into a sticky situation and we go into extras and you got to go deep into your bullpen, well, guess what? I have Jack Flaherty available to me rather than Andrew Miller as my last option. I just, if you're looking at the roster right now, you mention like six guys and then you go into the rotation with some of those guys that I would rather see coming out of the bullpen than Jack Flaherty. He's like eighth or ninth on my list right now in terms of players that I would like to see coming out of the bullpen specifically for the wild card game. If you get into the NLDS and you get into a situation like last night, I'm fine with seeing him pitch because that's the spot where you don't want to utilize your high leverage relievers. Other than that, though, I'm not sure where I'm utilizing Jack Flaherty right now. If he looks great in those spots in the NLDS, if you've got a game where you're down six, nothing and you just need to get to the end and you don't want to burn one of your best guys fine with it. And then if he looks great, maybe then you start using him more in high lever, higher leverage spots. And maybe you get to the NLCS and he ends up becoming a, a wipeout guy at the back end of your bullpen. And now you're going into the World Series with Jack Flaherty being Jack Flaherty again. And maybe he can give you a couple of innings at that point. That's all in play. But for the here and now, I'm just not ready for it. Mike Schultz was asked after the game what his plan is for Jack Flaherty. Here's what he had to say. And we're in the balancing act there and we're going to you know, continue to figure out what that looks like. And we're not going to. We're not going to push to push, you know. We're gonna we're gonna you know pitch him when he feels good and feels um, confident. Or we're gonna give him the opportunity to go out and compete. But we also recognize that you know we're about to head into a postseason, and and um, you know it's not a it's it's a time to you know obviously put put the guys out there that can help us the most. Jack is clearly a guy that can help us, um, but we, we got to make sure we are carrying our, our our group that you know don't have a lot of limitations in that in that setting. That makes me wonder if they're going to put him on their playoff roster. When I heard that last night, I was like, oh, they have the same questions that I do. And I'm, I'm not so sure that it's locked in right now that Jack Flaherty is going to be a part of your 26-man playoff roster. Here's a question for you, Alex. Let's go through some of the individual guys on this roster. I was just writing that down. That could potentially be in play in the postseason, specifically in the wild card game. Do you trust this player that I'm about to name or Jack Flaherty more in individual spots? Tanner, you can play along with us. No, he's not oh, allowed to. Good. Henesis Cabrera. You going to Jack Flaherty or Henesis? Henesis. Henesis. Giovanni Gallegos. Give me Gio. Gio. Luis Garcia. Give me Luis. Luis. Dakota Hudson. He's going to be a starter, so I don't have to worry about that one. But if you got into a sticky spot in the wild card and yeah. you had to go, go to Hudson, Hudson, who are you going with? Hudson or Flaherty right now? Hudson. Uh, TJ McFarland. Give me TJ. Same. Alex Reyes. Yeah. Give me Reyes. I would go Reyes, <laughs> but I'm, I got the tight butt cheeks. And Cody Whitley. Give me Wits. I think I'd go Flaherty over Whitley. Really? Whitley's been really good for this team. I, I, I get it. I know he's in a circle of trust, but it's still it's still Jack Flaherty. Okay. Um, and then you get into some of the starters. Would you go Jay Happ right now or Jack? this version of Jack Flaherty? Are they coming out of the bullpen? Yeah. I think I'd go Flaherty over Happ. Uh, I think I would probably go Flaherty as well. I've not been impressed with Hap over the last couple games. Okay. I think I would go Hap specifically for lefty lefty matchups. And that's that's where I would you be got utilizing. Two other lefties coming out of the bullpen. Though. I'm with you. I'm 
if you're going to get seven deep into your bullpen, Whoa. we're talking about a game that's go- gone 13 plus innings at this point. Who's going seven deep? <laughs> the, the Cardinals Damn. are in the postseason. This is this is why I'm just not sure you need Jack Flaherty on your playoff roster. And the reason, like, if Mo is coming up with these rosters, I don't know how the conversations go. But my assumption would be Mo has the final say on some of these decisions roster-wise. And if Mo is making these determinations, my bet would be He's looking at what I what we just went through and saying, okay, I, I've got six, maybe seven guys that you trust more than Jack Flaherty in these spots. There's no reason to even give them the temptation of going to Jack Flaherty if it's the top of the tenth and you need to get an out. But but there's no temptation there. You have all of these guys, but I'm still going to put them on my roster because he's Jack Flaherty. Like it's the break glass in case of emergency player, right? Like, we all remember that. What was the movie, Martin Lawrence? Was it Rebound? Is that what it was called, where he was the coach of the younger kids? I don't know. He was the coach of the grade school, and and they had, like, the super tall kid, and he wasn't great at basketball, and then they got better, but they, like, basically put him in the locker room, and then when, like, they called him out in the second half, like, that's Jack Flaherty, in my opinion. I think you put him on the roster because he's Jack Flaherty. But you're not going to put him on the roster and say, oh, well, we're just we're not going to put you here because we're worried Mike Schultz going to use you. But that's exactly why I wouldn't do it. But he's not going <laughs> to use him because he's got so many other guys to go to. I don't know that, though. And that that's why, like, if I'm Mo and he's got this this idea of Jack, I think you have got Mike Jack Ma- out in the bullpen. I think you have Mike Matheny Payne. From the Michael Walker. Absolutely, He's I a different do. manager now. He 100% is, but I want to prevent it. Matheny, or, yeah, Matheny. I want to prevent that from happening once again. And there's a way to do it. It's very easy. You just don't put him on the roster because the, the chances are you're not going to use him in the wild card game. But just to prevent you from using him, I'm going to I'm gonna take that toy away from you and we're going to make sure that it, it doesn't go wrong. So for me, I'm not having, I would not, unless something dra- dramatic shifts over the weekend and he looks excellent in his next outing, I'm not having Jack Flaherty on my, on my wild card game roster. That changes. It shifts once you get to the NLDS and you start getting into a five-game series. But for me, in a one-game setting, I don't see a scenario in which I would feel comfortable utilizing him. Therefore, I don't need to put him on my playoff roster to start. I agree with you, but if you're not going to use him in the wild card game or you don't want to put him on the roster for the wild card game, I'm not putting him on any postseason roster. And the reason I say that is because he's not built like a normal reliever and I'm not planning on being blown That's out. Fair. So I don't want to carry a guy just in case I get blown out and I need a guy to cover an inning just so I see what he can this just so he can get back to feeling himself for next year. He'll do that in spring training. So you guys are just going to carry then somebody who you don't want to use at all? Jack? No, somebody other than Jack. So, like, you're just going to say, no, we'll put Andrew Miller on the roster, but we don't want to use him. I think if you didn't carry Jack in the NLDS, you'd be going with KK for potential long relief. As it's and, see, I would rather have Jack than KK. And, I'm with you in the NLDS. I'm with you, but in the in the wild card game, I I don't think that he's going to end up being needed, and so I would go I would go KK over and him. And if you look at KK's spot. numbers, he's really good against the Giants this year. Two start. I mean, it's a small sample size, of course, because he's a starter. Two starts, so he was really good. So something to consider. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. It's 11:14. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Coming up here in about 15 minutes or so, we're going to be joined by Bill Ripken, former MLB second baseman, current studio. <laughs> haven't seen it let me play this bad boy <laughs> what are we doing yeah i just said we don't, we're not doing this no today. i haven't seen it have you seen it 
course I've seen So I'm the only one that hasn't seen it. Okay. Yeah. I guess Alex is playing the, the, the right. line of the game. Let's do this. this. What are we doing? Man, man. Line what if I go 100% here? You just bow good down? Luck. Yeah, good luck. I'm just going to tell you good luck. Or are we just playing mind games? Tommy Edmonds, second base, leading off. Good start. Um, I don't think Paul Goldschmidt will be playing tonight. Ooh, who do you move up to that spot? <laughs> like oh I said, good luck, don't my friend. Don't be looking up the lineup over there. No, I got the text line up, although they might be texting in. So don't text in, text line. Uh, oh, man. I don't know who you would put. Like, so you'll have Carpenter play first base, but you're not going to put Carpenter in the two hole, are you? I mean, he hit cleanup last night, so... <laughs> Oh, I'm not man. giving you any hits. No, I'm just saying that, that's where he was last night. I... We need an answer, big yeah, guy. Show me, show me Carpenter betting second. Mm. Okay, is this Tyler O'Neill? Mm. Oh my God! <laughs> All right, hold on. Um, who the hell would you be putting at this spot? Newbar? Mm. I'm gonna just. I'm gonna have to go through this whole damn list right now. Carlson. We go. Okay. He got it. It's Carlson. Is he playing right field? I can't tell you that. What do you mean you can't tell me? You just that? got the lineup. Okay. He's batting third. So this so will be Tyler O'Neill and Carlson. So O'Neill's batting third. No, Arenado's batting fourth. They had Bader bat fifth, but is Bader going to be sitting in this one today? Mm. Show me Bader. Show me Rondone. Oh, my God. Show me DeYoung. Jesus, the process of freaking elimination here. All right. We've come through the entire yeah, roster. Yeah, so now it's just, okay, so Carpenter's probably going to be batting next. Oh, my God. This is horrible. What is happening right now? Okay, 100%. let me do this again real quick, just in my head. So you far, got you've Edmund, got Edmund, Carlson, O'Neal, Arenado, DeYoung. Okay. That's got, the top got, five. We're like, literally halfway through. I gotta like write this damn thing down. I don't know where Carlson's I'm not playing. I'm convinced you're gonna get the pitcher right at this point. No, I know the pitcher. The pitcher is uh, Jay Hap. That's correct. <laughs> Thank you very much. Okay. So um, we're on number six. I know. I'm trying to figure out. So O'Neill's gonna be in left. I'm assuming Carlson's gonna be playing center because I don't think Bader's playing. So DeYoung was after Arenado, right? Mm-hmm. Correct. I'm going to spoil okay, it for sh- you. Show me He's Rondon. playing shortstop. Show me Rondon. There you go. Okay, now I think I got this now. So Rondon's in. He's playing right. Carpenter. Show me Carpenter at first. Show me Kisner at catcher. Wow, he got it. Yikes. Yeah, I got it after 15 wrong. You're lined up today order. against the Jesus. Milwaukee Brewers with the 12-15 first pitch. It's an early start for the Cardinals. Tommy Edmond batting second and leading off. Dylan Carlson's in center field today with Harrison Bader getting the day off. He's batting second. Tyler O'Neill's back in left field tonight. He's going to be batting third in his usual spot. Nolan Arnato back out there playing third and batting fourth. Paul DeYoung is batting fifth at shortstop. Jose Rondon, who's been playing very well of late, he's going to be moving out to the outfield, playing in right. He's batting sixth. Matt Carpenter is hitting seventh and playing first. Andrew Kisner behind the plate, batting eighth. And Jay Happ gets the start for the Cardinals again. 12-15 first pitch against the Milwaukee Brewers, getting or hoping to get back on the right side of the ledger. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kiley. That went very poorly. The next segment will go much better. There are three lingering questions about this Cardinals offense, Alex, and we'll talk about all three coming 
coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to more of it. It's BK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. Courtesy of Valley Sports Midwest with Alex Ferrario and Jose, 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 Jose Rondon. One of the big questions going into the postseason for me. I think there are three lingering questions about the availability in the Cardinals offense, Alex, and what that means for the lineup moving forward. The lineup game that I just crushed. Similar to that. Yes. Number one for me. What is Yadier Molina status? Because he hasn't played the last few days. Apparently, he's got some shoulder tightness. Mike Schilt, for what it's worth, did say earlier today, uh, while he had the media availability, that Yadier Molina is expected to play this weekend. That was never really in doubt for me. But what's his effectiveness level going to be? Is he hurt? Is he injured? Where is he at right now? Because if this Cardinals team is going to go on a run, not just into the wild card game and win it, but if they're going to go on a run in the postseason, they need Yadier Molina in big moments. He is one of their best big moment players. We've seen it all of September where we've seen it in October before he has come through with some huge clutch hits for this team in the past. If they're going to go on a run, they need him. And I just don't know where he's at right now physically. That's one of my biggest questions for the last three, four games of this regular season. I, I take I take comfort in the fact that Mike Schultz said he's going to play this weekend because that means at least it's not anything that like, oh, well, we're not sure if he'll play. He's day to day, like they've said with Edmundo Sosa. I, I'm actually I'm actually pretty optimistic about Yadier Molina. And look, Mike Schultz saving our lives because we're optimistic these days. But I'm optimistic with him because we've seen since the second half that they've tried to get him more days off. And look at how effective he has been with those extra days off, right? Like his offensive numbers have gone up considering in what June we were talking about. This guy might be done for in terms of his offense. So I'm optimistic that these extra days off in terms of letting him rest and heal for the playoffs in this last stretch, they're, they're going to work in the Cardinals favor. Yeah. Him getting those next couple days to play. I, I feel fine about Yadier Molina's status. The shoulder, I, I don't think it's going to be a big problem. I think it's just one of those, let's get him a day off, and hell, we'll say it's a shoulder There's no issue. reason to rush it right now, right? Yeah. Like, if, if you if he was at 80%, and he was probably, whether it be the shoulder, his foot, his legs, whatever, there was there had to have been some sort of lingering issues with Yachty, because there always is as a catcher, especially this time of year, for them to be able to get him closer to 100% prior to the postseason. It's a smart way to play it. I'm just interested to see what he looks like timing-wise, health-wise, whenever we see him this weekend. I'm with you guys on this one. That's my least, out of all of the questions that I have remaining, that's the one that's the lowest level of concern for me. The next one, and I think this is a much bigger question for the Cardinals. What's Edmundo Sosa going to look like whenever he does return to the lineup? Because just like Yachty, Mike Schilt said that Edmundo Sosa is going to get some opportunities this weekend. Today was the first time that he has swung a bat since the injury last Friday night. What's he going to look like? Is his timing there? Is he 100% healthy? Does he have the same pop that he did previously? Is he defensively going to look like the same guy? We All of those questions might be, yeah, he's fine. He's ready to go, and he's going to look like the same Edmundo Sosa. 
Is he hesitant? Is he confident with that hand? I don't know the answer to those questions. So for me, that's one of the biggest questions that's going into this weekend because they need him back at starting shortstop. I, I know Paul DeYoung. He was a nice story storyline over the weekend, had a couple of big-time hits. He's not as good as Edmundo Sosa. Right now, you can see the difference between those two guys. You're better defensively with Sosa out there, and frankly, you're better offensively with Edmundo Sosa in the lineup as well. Yeah, I, I just, and look, this is no shot at Paul DeYoung. I just, I haven't been impressed with him starting since Edmundo Sosa's been out. I know he had the game where he hit the home run. He's had a game where he's had another RBI in, but it's not the same effect that Edmundo Sosa provides. It's not the same effect in terms of you. Ste- he steps into the batter's box and you expect some type of result rather than looking at Paul DeYoung and thinking, this might be a strikeout. So yeah, you do need Edmundo Sosa. I think he's the biggest question for totally me. Agree. Because you need him at shortstop with the defense. You need the energy he provides. And frankly, you need his bat at the bottom of the order. Yeah, I'm very curious to see how he looks at the plate because when Carlson had his wrist injury if you go and look at his numbers and maybe it's not correlated maybe it was just he went on a cold streak but after he got off the aisle from that wrist injury it took him a while to get that pop back and it's now coming back we're starting to see it again but before that he was hitting about 230 about a 20 to 30 game stretch I think that was due to the wrist I'm speculating there but I'm very curious to see if it has any effect with Sosa and his his pop at the play we've seen this before Yadier Molina's had it in the past where he has a wrist injury a hand injury and then it just completely depletes all of his power and I'm not even just talking about the home run power I'm talking about just hard hit rate right like if you if you have a wrist that is not a hundred percent normally that that ball that might be a line drive that becomes a weak grounder and it's just it completely changes the way that you're able to be effective at the play. I hope he's fine because, man, this team really needs him to be OK. But I think that's one of the single biggest things that I'm watching for this weekend is to find out where he's at both mentally and physically going into the wild card game next weekend. And the other thing is there's a trickle down effect. If Edmundo Sosa is right, if he is OK and he has a couple of big hits over the weekend, he looks like himself again. That brings up the question of. Who's your top guy from the right side on your bench? Is it Paul DeYoung or is it Jose Rondon? Tanner, you said last week, and I I was questioning this, uh, you think that it's clearly Rondon. He's just been better in those big spots than Paul DeYoung has this year. I'm leaning that direction. Jose Rondon has been really impressive to me. Defensively last night looked great at second base, made a big time play there. Uh, He's come up with some big hits. I think on the year now he's batting like 280 as a pinch hitter for the Cardinals, which is really good. And he's had some pop in those spots as well. Jose Rondon deserves to be that top right-handed bat off of the bench. But is Mike Schultz going to lean towards the veteran that has been here before, has been in these spots, spots before in the playoffs? I don't know. That's one of my big questions. If Sosa's right and he's your starting shortstop, who is the top bat off of the bench from the right side? I think it'll come down to the final, what do we got, four games left here in the season? I think it'll come down to that because they've already said they're going to play Rondon around. Like last night, he was at second. Today, he's in right field. I suspect he'll be in the lineup somewhere tomorrow. It's going to come down to how Rondon looks and if he can outperform Paul DeYoung in the final four games. No matter what the numbers say on the season, whoever plays best in the next four games will be that top right-handed And I think you'll get a really good tell when Edmundo Sosa comes back in because Rondon's been the go-to guy since Paul DeYoung has been playing every single day because of the Sosa injury. But when Sosa gets back into the lineup and you look at it against the Cubs and you sit here and say, okay, pinch hit opportunity, do you go to Rondon? Do you go to Paul DeYoung? Mike Schilt has really impressed me over the last couple of weeks in terms of he's been always going to the hot hand. Rondon has been coming up into big-time scenarios because he's been hitting a hot bat. So it it, it was Rondon for me... 
And I think it's going to stay Rondone for me, regardless of what Paul DeYoung does, just because he's got that big time swag. I even underestimated it. The new numbers for Jose Rondone as a pinch hitter this year. He's batting 310 in pinch wow. hit opportunities. And this is 45 plate appearances now with a 915 OPS on the season. Meanwhile, Paul DeYoung in pinch hit spots is one for six. That's a 167 batting average. Jose Rondone is just your best, better, better option coming off of the bench from the right side right now. Remember how long it took for them to call Rondone up at the beginning of the season. I was Tanner's boy. Yeah. We, I mean, Tanner, we were, we were clamoring for it all year and it kept, it was Austin Dean. It was Justin Williams. You're going through this. Like, what are we doing? And then finally they bring him up and look what he's been. I think it was Austin Dean. What'd I say? Uh, Justin. I thought you said Austin. I thought Austin That's my bad. Justin I didn't Williams. listen to the I, show. Tanner, sorry about that. <laughs> no, you just didn't listen to, be to fair, me. That's I fine. did I did almost DFA Sosa to begin the year when I made my opening day roster. So Well, know. we all called him Edmundo Soso. So. I'm just BK. That's on me. No, With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll play a game of questions and answer. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Coming up next, Bill Ripken. For my money, is one of the best baseball analysts when it comes to breaking down a swing. He does so over on MLB Network. The former second baseman and the current MLB Network analyst joins us next on 101 ESPN. This is exactly where you want to be listening to us. It's BK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. Alex Ferrari, he's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Been looking forward to this interview for quite a while. Bill Ripken's joining the show, former MLB second baseman, current studio analyst for MLB Network. He joins us via the Brownie and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Bill, thanks so much for the time today, my friend. How you doing? You got it. How are you guys doing today? Doing very well. So I love watching MLB Network, and any time that I can see you breaking down somebody's swing, I feel like I become smarter about the game of baseball as a result. And the other night I watched you break down Tyler O'Neill's approach and how things have changed for him at the plate and how he's much more confident up there right now. What have you seen, for our listeners that may not have seen that breakdown, what have you seen that has changed in Tyler O'Neill's approach that has unlocked his potential this year? I think it's one of the things uh, I firmly believe in because you guys well know my brother stood at home plate 472,000 different ways at home plate. And he was just trying to unlock something. And I'm more of a, uh, of a fan of the idea of the mental process, the mental thought that goes into it. Because I think the thought process will dictate to the body what goes on. And with Tyler, I- I've been watching him and it, it's the chicken and egg thing. You know, do you have to have success first before you have confidence or can you just be confident on your own? And I don't think anybody knows that answer, but he looks like he's in a rocking chair. He, he really does. He's, he defies some uh, hitting philosophies because he doesn't have much negative movement before he explodes. He's, he's very still at home plate. In fact, his hands probably move more when he's getting ready than when he's actually getting ready to fire. And he's so big, he's so strong that he can do it. But right now, I think he's seeing the ball. And the proverbial, it's probably bigger than a normal-looking baseball to him, maybe softball-like. I don't think it ever gets to beach ball proponents because the game's still pretty hard. But I think he's just very confident. He understands what he can do right now at home plate. Being in between Goldschmidt and Arenado certainly can't hurt anything. 
but you see a very confident player that uh, knows his abilities and he's feeling it at home plate. Is he just kind of cracking into what he can eventually become as an everyday major major leaguer bill? Because uh, for so long in his start to his career, a lot of people were frustrated because he wasn't hitting that potential. And now are you starting to see what Tyler O'Neill can be every game? Well, I think in one aspect, he's, he's more normal than, than some of these young players we've seen. Look, not everybody's Tatis, Acuna Jr., Soto, that are hitting the big leagues at 19 and 20 years old and making it look that easy. For the most of us, we have to go through a little bit of transition and growing pains to get it done. So I think in that respect, he's kind of normal. And then I think what you see when what he's doing right now, he's clearly above normal when it comes to being an average major league player. So... Uh, it, it's just some of those things where you got to figure it out. You've got to get at bats. You've got to grind through, through some certain, certain things. And I do believe with most, the failures of the game or the struggles of the game, if you can handle them, can certainly make you better in the long run. We're talking to Bill Ripken, former MLB second baseman, now a studio analyst for MLB Network. For my money, one of the best in the business when it comes to breaking down hitting. He's joining us here on BK and Ferrario. Bill, I wanted to ask you about Paul Goldschmidt as well because he's had a, a legit borderline MVP type of a season. And since May 1st, we looked up some of these numbers yesterday. He's now batting 315 with an OPS of 950. He looked off in April. It looked weird. And I think now looking back, we can say it was probably somebody something that was ailing him. He missed the home opener here in St. Louis, and it was probably a back issue that was ailing him then. How for a guy like that has he turned it around so well in his mid-30s now and extended his, his uh, prime, Bill? Well, you know, like we were talking earlier with Tyler O'Neill, this game's not easy. And I think you have to go through growing pains. And even for someone like Paul Goldschmidt, who's got this proven track record that goes on, and it just goes to show you how difficult things can be. If he was missing any time because of a back, I had certain back issues during my career. So did my brother. Uh, My father and mother gave us some very good genetics, but also gave us that, I think, along (laughs) with it. And if he was ailing at all, and it takes him out of what he wants to do, um, the game's hard. So if he's feeling better... I don't think there's any question. If you just say, okay, Paul Goldschmidt's 100% healthy, then I'll do the proverbial turn over the the baseball card and look at his numbers and say that's what he's going to do because that's just what he does. But I love the fact that the Cardinals went out there and got him one. I love the fact that the Cardinals went out there and got Nolan Arenado two. And when you look at those two guys that wore uniforms for a longer period of time with other teams – Does it not look right that both of those guys are wearing Cardinal uniforms? There's something about this proverbial Cardinal way and what they're supposed to look like. Those two guys on the corner certainly fit the bill. And Bill, you've been a part of multiple teams in your major league career, so you know how difficult it is to go from one team to another and kind of mesh into that group. How impressed have you been with what Arenado accomplished this season, not in terms of making the playoffs with this group, but also hitting 30-plus home runs and hitting 100-plus RBIs? Yeah, look, and and those two categories you just threw out there, I'm big on. Um, Anything that says created, adjusted, or whatever else means made up. (laughs) And what I like like about Nolan Arenado, because he certainly wore his fair share of criticism because he played in Colorado this, Colorado that. But if you look at the numbers that he drives in and he scores, that's how you win games. You have to cross home plate. 
And yes, his average is down a little bit from his career average 162 while he was in Colorado. I get that. I understand that Colorado provides some extra hits, some extra points on your average. But Nolan Arenado sticks his nose in there when he's got a man on third with two outs. And he finds a way. Uh, earlier in the year, I remember him hitting two of the most ridiculous gork-looking hits to right field on balls well out of the strike zone for Knox and Ribbies. And I'm a big fan of guys who can drive and run. And I think if you look at his projected out, there's only three games or four games left to play in, in St. Louis, his production numbers as far as driving in runs and hitting home runs are right there with his numbers when he played in Colorado. So he's a great player, great competitor, and I love to see the fact that he puts, he puts points up on the board for his team. Bill, as we now kind of focus on what the playoffs are going to look like for the Cardinals, they clinched the other night. They're going to be playing either the Giants or the Dodgers in that wild card game. It looks like probably the Dodgers, depending on how this weekend shakes out. How do you see, how do you view the Cardinals in a one game scenario against the likelihood of either Gossman or Scherzer? How do you see their lineup potentially go doing against either of those two guys? Well, I think the Scherzer one, if I'm not mistaken, they've had a hard time with. I don't think there's been much question. But then again, most lineups do. (laughs) Um, Now, if you were the Cardinals, you would look at his outing yesterday and say, okay, he's human. He he can give up some biscuits. And if you run into one, and I would assume that Wainwright's on the docket to throw that one game, um, I believe it's going to be a 5 o'clock game out there, 8 o'clock game on the East Coast, which means there's going to be some shadows. So Wainwright flipping that big hook up there coming down from 37 feet probably isn't going to be a day at the beach of the Dodgers either. And I'm just giving it to the Dodgers right now because I'm tired of saying, okay, the Dodgers are going to catch San Fran and then San Fran just proving me wrong. So I'm just going to say San Fran wins the division. So you're playing the Dodgers. And it's an interesting thing because I don't think any more pressure is going to be on the Dodgers because they won 100-plus games and the Cardinals didn't. The Cardinals, with this 17-game run that they were just on, they have the best record in all of baseball in September. So can they get to the postseason and continue that? The answer would be yes. Um, We all know in baseball that one-game crapshoot could be pretty uh, difficult, but it's going to be just as difficult on the Dodgers as it's going to be on the Cardinals. So it's going to be a good game to watch for sure, no doubt. Bill, final one for me, if this offense is at full health, and we know that Edmundo Sosa has been day-to-day, Mike Schilt thinking he's going to play this weekend, Yadier Molina as well. If this Cardinals lineup is at full health for that wild card game, do you like the way that that offense is stacked up compared to a Dodgers offense? I like what they've done in this run. I'm, I'm a big proponent of consistency. I like your, I think your first four hitters in the 17 games in a row were identical, the same. And I like being able to run that out because I think there's a lot of uh, information being passed along and there's some continuity that goes with it. The beauty of your lineup with Goldschmidt in the two spot, Arnauto 4, O'Neal 3. And yes, they're all right-handed. And does that prevent or present certain issues with the left-right map? Maybe. But if you've got the right two, three, four guys, I don't care if they're left-handed, right-handed, no-handed. If they can hit, they can hit. And you run them out there and you play – I think the cool thing is there could be like a sleeper guy. Could Bader run into a, a, a hanging uh, hook and go deep and, and, and put something on the board? Carlson's capable. So I like the diversity that your lineup presents. 
Um, it's a little bit unique in, in, in what happens. And I said Bader instead of Hater. I'm sorry. Uh, Bader's our edit guy up here at the network that cuts really good tapes. So uh, my apologies there. No worries, Bill. We're looking forward to it, man. We can't wait to watch this wild card game, whether it be against the Giants or the Dodgers. I'm with you. I'm kind of assuming at this point that it's going to be the Dodgers. It's going to be a heck of a lot of fun. Hey, Bill, all the best. Thanks so much for hopping on with us today. And hopefully if this Cardinals team goes on a little bit of a run in the postseason, we'll be able to catch up again soon. Well, good luck to you boys. Uh, they, they're fun to watch, and the 17 was pretty uh, pretty amazing. So good luck to you guys. Thanks, Thanks so much. That's Bill Ripken joining us here on 101 ESPN. As he was talking about maybe they're going to have somebody that steps up and runs into one, I mean, doesn't that just sound like he's basically saying, without saying the words, he's saying Cardinals devil magic. I mean, that, that's, that's what he's talking about there. And if you were to guess who could be that guy, Man, nationally, it's going to be different than it is locally. Like, we don't view Harrison Bader as a Cardinals Devil Magic player because he's been a part of this team for so long. But nationally, if he ends up going on a tear, if he continues what he's done in September in the playoffs, yeah, that's going to be the type of guy that could be viewed as a Cardinals Devil Magic player. I also think you could consider, like, Emundo Sosa, if he gets healthy and he ends up going on a run in the postseason, that is the perfect Cardinals Devil Magic player. The guy that we were all calling Edmundo Soso at the beginning of the year, becoming mm-hmm. a guy that could be like a, an MVP of the team in the playoffs. That is the definition of Cardinals Devil Magic. The other one that pops out to me, too, is Jose Rondon, right? Like For I sure. can see him stepping up to the plate and just coming up with a big time hit that nobody expected. You'd look at it if you're a national perspective and say, why is Jose Rondon hitting in this spot? But he'd come up with a big hit. But I mean, that's just what the Cardinals have done over the years, right? Like, just go through the list of names. Pete Cosma, Brendan Ryan, like, all of these names that people didn't expect to come up with big hits always seems to. And that's just how the Cardinals always seem to run their team. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson. And I'm Brandon Kiley. In about 15 minutes, we're going to catch up with our guy, Ben Heisler, the managing editor for Betsided, get his picks for the NFL weekend. And he's been paying a lot of attention to the Cardinals as well. What's he think about the Cardinals' odds in the postseason? We'll talk to Heis about that coming up at 12 o'clock. But coming up next, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers here on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text now to 65780. It's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line for questions and answers. We'll talk to our guy, Ben Heisler, coming up in about 10 minutes or so. Let's start with this one from the 980. Hey, guys, how worried are you about the momentum that the offense had during the winning streak in the playoffs disappearing now that the team has nothing really to play for? I wouldn't say I'm worried about it, but I would like to see them get back on a win streak these next four games. You know, like you you took away that 17 game win streak and trying to make history in Major League Baseball. You took that away and you said it earlier. Great, BK, like you, you have that monkey off your shoulders. Now I would like to see them get back to winning so that you're going into the playoffs with a good feel. Because the worst thing that could happen is you win 17 straight, but then you lose five in a row going into postseason play because then you don't know kind of where you're at. So I wouldn't say I'm worried, but I do want to see them get back in the win streak. Yeah, I'm not really worried. I am just kind of curious to see how the offense looks when they if if they put everybody back together, the A team, as they're called. So uh, because if they're all going to have some days off, then you get kind of the, your routines maybe disrupted a little bit. So I am I'm curious, not worried, just curious. I want to see them play all three games against the uh, against Chicago. I think I'm with kind of with you. Final two is what I'm thinking. 
I think Friday, Saturday at a minimum, I'd like to see him play. See, Maybe I, even I take off them, Sunday. I don't want them taking off Sunday because then you have two days off heading yeah. into that wild Only reason game. why I say that is because Sunday's a day game after a night game. So if they're going to take one off, my take, guess would be that would be the yeah. one that they likely get off. But I don't want to see you treat the final three games of the season the way that you've treated the last two. I think that can potentially be dangerous. And I'm not the biggest momentum guy, but how could you not be right now, given what we just witnessed in that 17-game streak? There's something to it. What we watched in that 17-game streak was very real. There was a, a tangible buzz within the team. You could see, like, when they were in that dugout, they all believed the next guy up was going to get a hit, and it allowed the guy that was at the plate to be a little bit more free swinging up there. So I don't think that I'm worried about this by any means. Yesterday was a one-off. If it happens again today, okay, maybe there is something to it. But again, this is still your B team really going out there for the most part. This weekend, if you end up getting shut out in two out of three when your starters are out there, that's when maybe there's a little bit of concern that would start to take place. But for for now, my level of concern is at like a one out of 10. I think that was the more, I don't want to say concerning thing, but the, at least something that I was paying attention to last night was the runners in scoring position and, and the lack of opportunities to cash in there. And I understand it was the B squad, but those are the guys that will be coming off of the bench for you in big situations in a pinch hit roll. Okay. So that's what I'm looking at more. Like if they lose the next three, then that's a little stressful, but I'm looking at the runners in scoring position and how you are in the clutch moments. Because that's one place where they really excelled. We didn't talk about it a whole lot, Alex, because it was the home runs. It was um, the the pitching. It was the defense. All of that got some some big time um, airtime. But their runners in scoring position numbers during that streak were astronomical. Yeah. They were hitting like 350 with runners in scoring position. And the number, they led the league and yeah. sacrificed flies during their winning streak. And everyone was doing it too. It wasn't just two or three people. It was great. That, and that's what you want to see. So stuff like that, situational hitting, you got to get back to that over the weekend. And I, I truly believe that they will. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. This one comes from the 217. Hey, Alex, who's been giving the better impression through camp and the preseason to make this roster for leak joshua costin or neil which one of those four or maybe multiple of those four do you get the impression will make this team based on the way that they've been playing this uh, far right now i would say the top two would be joshua and neil uh, and right behind them for leak i would put costin at the bottom um uh, craig berube hasn't said too much about him in the two games that he has played which means he wasn't noticeable um, and that's an important thing. And Craig Brewey said last night that Logan Brown was very noticeable. So he's kind of jumped over those two. But James Neal, I mean, look, James Neal didn't get on the score sheet last night, but he had five shots on goal and three hits. So that's very significant because he was playing on a third line role with Thomas and our first line role with Thomas and Cairo. Joshua Joshua had a fight last night. And look, anytime you drop the mitts, Craig Brewey's going to know that. And then Michael Froelich's right there because he's just a good penalty killer. So if I were to go off of that list, I would say it would go Neil number one, Joshua number two. I'd probably put Logan Brown in there as number three, then Froelich, Costin being at the bottom. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. I like this one from the 314. Hey, guys, when Bill Ripken said that Cardinals fans are going to be excited because of what Max Scherzer did last night. I was curious what his line looked like in the last couple of games. I saw he's allowed 17 hits in his last two starts. Does that give you any excitement about the what the Cardinals offense could potentially do against Scherzer? Be careful with that. (laughs) I would just say be careful expecting to crush Max Scherzer at any point in time. And I'm not saying Cardinals fans are feeling that way, but he's had two bad starts in a row. 
And if you're a Dodgers fan, like if we were covering the Dodgers right now, Alex, we would absolutely be talking about today. Hey, how much concern is there about the fact that in the last two starts, Max Scherzer's gone a total of 10 innings and he's given up 10 earned runs? Yeah, because there's something to that. But Max Scherzer, I'm always betting on him turning it around and finding a way to make it work whenever he needs to the most. So I I wouldn't say that I'm excited to face him in the wild card round by any stretch, but You'd rather face him coming off of a couple of bad starts than not. Yeah, I mean, the bad starts, and you corrected me on this earlier, one was the Padres, and I think the previous before that was Colorado. Mm -hmm. So you had two games. Look, those are two teams that are eliminated, two teams that have nothing to play for. Max Scherzer's just basically trying to get through those games before the wild card. I wouldn't read into any of that. And I do read into the fact that he is undefeated in wild card games in his career. He's not an easy opponent in a one game. Not an easy opponent. And let's be honest, you, like you said, two teams that weren't really playing for much in that game. Dodgers are playing for something. Scherzer doesn't really care. Scherzer's ready for the postseason. He's a different animal when it comes yeah. to the postseason. So don't look at his last two games and say, yeah, we can hit that. His, it, would you? Here's my question for you. Would you sign up for this today? If I told you this was going to be Max Scherzer's line in the wild card game, would you hit the button to sign up for it now or press your luck to see what it looks like? In his wild card game in 2019 against Milwaukee, he went five innings, allowed four hits, three walks, and gave up three earned runs. If I told you right now, five innings, three earned runs allowed against the Cardinals, would you sign up for that today, or are you pressing your luck and seeing what the Cardinals are able to do? I'd sign up for that today in a heartbeat because I expect a line of, like, one hit and no earned runs through seven innings with Scherzer. And if that's my line against Scherzer, which means I'm into the bullpen in the fifth or the sixth inning, but I also have Wayno on the mound who could keep that close. So yeah, I'd hit the button. I'd sign up for that too, because I, I think it's the first team to three and then that's going to be the winner because both bullpens are really good. Both stars have been really good. All it takes is a bloop and a blast. And then we've got a whole new game involved. I've also, if you're, if you're somebody that's concerned about the matchup of offenses between the Cardinals and the Dodgers, I've got some numbers that might put those fears to rest. We'll get into that in the 12 hour, but coming up next, our guy, Ben Heisler is the managing editor at Betside. He's been all over this Cardinals run. What's he think about the Cardinals odds to win the World Series right now? Is it worth a bet? We'll ask Kyson, get his thoughts on the NFL weekend when he joins us next on 101 ESPN. Giving you the picture, the real big St. Louis sports picture. It's BK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield studio on 101 ESPN. Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. We're happy to go out to the Brownie and Group and Celebrity Line as we do each and every Thursday to talk with our friend and the managing editor for Betsided. He is Ben Heisler joining us here on BK and Ferrario. Heis, how you doing today, man? What's happening, gentlemen? Like all good things must come to an end. I apologize to see the Cardinals go down, but I mean, we talked about it on that side of the other day. It just kind of felt inevitable, right? That that huge winning streak was all about getting and guaranteeing yourself a playoff spot. And when there's no real other movement that's necessary, you're probably going to be a bit in a letdown spot. Yeah, and I, I said it earlier today, Heiss. I actually think there might be a, some good that comes out of this. You get the monkey off of your back of continuing that streak. It happened with a lot of the backups out there last night. And you exactly. learned a little bit about a couple of the relievers that you want to find out whether or not you're going to carry them on your playoff roster. So there was some good that even came in that loss. I did want to ask you, as a betting man yourself, the Cardinals right now over on the FanDuel Sportsbook are listening at 20 to one to win the world series 
Are those odds something that you're interested in placing a, a small wager on right now? I think if you're a Cardinals fan and you're looking for a little added interest in the postseason, then absolutely. 20 to 1 still feels a tad bit odd. Uh, it actually feels a little bit low considering what type of move they'd have to do to be able to get through. Uh, like several other sports books, you can get them maybe a 25 to 1, possibly even 30 to 1. We'll see how the matchups ultimately end up taking place. I tell you what, I like it more if they face the Giants in the wild card round compared to the Dodgers. Really? Um, yes. Well, I, I just think the Dodgers are a better team. I know that the, the Giants have been terrific all season, and at some point the sample size adds up to them being an outstanding team. But I mean, would you rather go up against Kevin Gosman or, or Max Scherzer? So you, the answer this is, is interesting. Go, this is interesting. Okay. Let's go. You just ran into what's been one of the biggest arguments on the show of late. Because the so, genius pick your side, Heist. <laughs> yeah. Um, Alex Ferrario is very much with you. He thinks that the best path to the World Series for the Cardinals is to go through the, the Giants in the wild card and then the Dodgers in the NLTS. I'm on the other side because eventually you're going to have to face Max Scherzer, whether it's in game one of the NLDS and then potentially game five in the NLDS or in game one of the wild card. And then you just got to beat them once. I am of the opinion I would rather beat that giant of a team in the first game and then you just don't have to deal with them anymore as opposed to facing them best of five where I think it becomes more difficult to advance. But you're on the other side of that. That's interesting. Well, I, I'm, I, it's a really good point. I just think when it comes to trying to like evaluate your chances to move forward, I'd rather put myself in a position where you have the inherent randomness of baseball. And, and maybe that means that one game against Max Scherzer as opposed to possibly two likely leans out in your favor. But I, I just think if you're the Cardinals, you want to just get to that round in the easiest way possible. And I think the easiest path there is to get past the Giants. And then, you know, you're the team that's already played a game. You haven't been waiting around. There actually have been, you know, over over the course of time for, for St. Louis as the wild card team, that's actually been advantageous to them in those two years that they've won the World Series. Um, although I, I take that back. I think one of those years they actually won the NL Central, but they did it with like a, a crummy record in the process. Correct. So I, I, to me, like you're, you're making very good points, BK, and I'd have to like go and evaluate it from a numbers perspective because, yes, I, I think it's probably a better situation for you with baseball's inherent randomness to face the Dodgers just once as opposed to five times. But I also like the Cardinals' chances to get into that round to play the Giants as opposed to the Dodgers. Heiss, you're a smart man in so many areas, but you have never <laughs> been more intelligent than talking about this right now. But I need your help on football, my man. We're going to get into the games in just a bit, but I'm talking fantasy right here. Me personally, I've had Jonathan Taylor this season, and he has just been a massive disappointment. But from your perspective, what the heck is going on with the running backs in Indy, in Baltimore, and in San Francisco for fantasy purposes? Well, I, I think the problem right now is in Baltimore. They, they're they just not entirely sure what their game plan looks like week to week because, you know, in the first two weeks, they just weren't good and they were playing from behind and, and trying to just figure themselves out. And then in week two, they had a great matchup against Kansas City and Lamar Jackson looked great and Tyson Williams looked great and Latavius Murray scored his second touchdown. I, I think the way that they want to move forward, and this is probably not good news for anybody that's playing fantasy, is I, I think they like changing up the different looks of their running backs. You know, you saw that a lot towards the end of last year with Gus Edwards, with J.K. Dobbins, and still being able to keep them fresh while having Lamar Jackson on the field. There was always a threat of the fresh running back coming down and, and making a move. 
Indianapolis is, is really interesting, right? Because everything that we had been told about that team really has not started to show up. The offensive line was supposed to look good. The offense is going to be a little bit more consistent. Uh, you thought that Carson Wentz reuniting with Frank Reich would, would look much better than what we've seen. And, and Wentz is also clearly hurt. Like, let's not forget about the fact that he was basically playing on, on two hobble knees last week and still managed to you know not turn the ball over. In fact, he really hasn't done that this year. And I, I give him a lot of credit for making sure that he's not turning the ball over the way that he had in the first several games in Philadelphia. Uh, but they've also played some tougher teams too. Uh, home loss to Seattle, home loss against the Rams. Those are two of the better teams in the NFC. Uh, you should be able to move the ball in the Titans, but again, Wentz wasn't healthy and they're down Quentin Nelson. So um, if you're a Jonathan Taylor owner, like it sounds like you are Ferrario, yeah. you're, you're sitting, you're sitting pat because this is still somebody that was over a thousand yards, still the bulk of their offense. They're moving on from Marlon Mack, um, but they've just been down in every game so that his snap count hasn't been where it needs to be. It's been more Naheem Hines. They get a lead. They're going to run Jonathan Taylor and run him heavy. So I, I think you'd be selling low at this point. Yeah. So all you need, Alex, is for Carson Wentz on two bad ankles and a bad offensive line in front of him <laughs> to start leading in games. And then Jonathan Taylor is going to be great oh, for fantastic. you. Fantastic. That'll never freaking happen then. <laughs> With Alex Ferrario, Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Ben Heisler is our guest here on 101 ESPN. Heis, one of the games that I'm most intrigued to watch on Sunday, and there's actually some pretty good games in this slate, is Cardinals versus the Rams in. Los Angeles Rams coming off of a huge victory against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I don't know what to make of the Cardinals thus far. They have looked really good, but they did this early last year. And then they started to go on their downward trajectory. Once Kyler Murray started taking some hits, what are you anticipating watching between the Rams and the Cardinals on Sunday afternoon? I think your first blush impression would be that these are going to be two teams that are just going to go up and down the field constantly. The Rams are as locked in on offense as I've ever seen them in the Sean McVay era. And they've been a top five offensive team in the past with them. The difference is that Matthew Stafford is taking what Jared Goff was able to do and completely unlocking it to a whole new level. Cooper cup right now is the number one receiver in the NFL by a wide margin. Like he's got five touchdowns, I believe so far this year. Uh, He's the number one fantasy receiver. Everything that they're doing is working, and they're doing it without not much of a running game. You know, they used Sony Michelle a lot last week against Tampa Bay. You don't really run on them. They can incorporate Daryl Henderson once he comes back as a pass catcher. But uh, the fact that they've been doing this on a one-dimensional level is really, really impressive. And the defense is starting to get their fate, their, get their their place too. I, I thought they would struggle a little bit moving on from Brandon Staley, who's now the the head coach over for the Chargers. As far as this game goes. I feel like the line is a little too inflated towards the Rams. Like right now you can get them probably around minus five and a half minus six uh, at a lot of different sports book. You know, I'm for purposes of this, I'm using WinBet because that's who we use over at we use FanDuel. FanDuel. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> right. It's, okay. So for purposes, like I think they're around five and a half or six at FanDuel Sportsbook. Um, so I, I just think that it's, it's, it feels like very much a public play on the Rams and they've been really good, but Arizona also has the ability to, to move the ball on a lot of these teams too. And knowing that they have some issues in the middle of the field, I, I kind of like Rondale Moore as like a sneaky sleeper, someone that can clear his prop total. And, and I think Arizona might actually keep this close. They have some veterans that are kind of keeping that team in line and knowing that they have a, a huge divisional game against the Rams on their turf in Los Angeles 
to me, it kind of feels like this is going to be a little bit closer than most people anticipate. So I like Arizona, and I like them plus the point. Heis, I lost in our BK and Ferrario pick them this past week, but you know you the one the one that I got right is the one I listened to you because you said just stop picking the Chiefs with their line because it just hasn't been paying off for them. And I went Chargers plus seven, and look at me this past week. That's the okay. only victory. Are we doing the same thing for the Chiefs and Eagles this week? You might have to hold your nose and do it again. It's all the way up now to plus seven and a half for the Eagles, uh, possibly even plus eight, depending on, on where FanDuel hangs it. Um, there you go. See, a couple reps. and, and already God starting, bless you, yeah, already, already have started. To listen at seven right now. You can do a same game parlay over there if you want to on that okay, game. Enough you, you. you could. You could. You could also tease that number down with That's another right. game. So there's plenty, plenty of different options there over at FanDuel Sportsbook. But I will say this. Um, I just I just don't want to get involved with this game. Like, the Chiefs should go to Philadelphia with the issues that they've had on both sides of the ball. And I'm a big Jalen Hurts fan, but I thought they'd play a lot better against Dallas, and they were a disaster. And now they're coming off of a short week against an angry Chiefs team. Everything in your right mind would tell you that the Chiefs should blow the doors off of this. But the last time the Chiefs won a game against the spread in the regular season – like we were still on a different president. So it was, it was week nine of 2020 when they blew out the jets. So I, I'm Oof. not taking the chiefs to cover the spread until I actually see them do it in, you know, in the Biden administration's era, in the, in the Biden administration, right. Give me, give me something here. Um, and again, like I just, it's a game that I kind of want to just stay away from because even though the chiefs should cover, We've had the same conversation the last several weeks, and they haven't gotten it done yet. Heist, final question that I've got for you. We'll get you out of here on this. Uh, your Bears are taking on the Lions this week. You would imagine this should be an easy victory, but I personally watched Matt Nagy coach one of the worst games that I've ever seen last weekend. Uh, are your, your Bears going to be able to win this one, man? I don't know. I wish I could come here and say from a talent level with the how good of the – listen, their, their defense played well against Cleveland. At some point – when your quarterback is getting sacked on nine different times and it's three and out all day, it's point your defense is just going to say the hell with this. We're done. <laughs> I thought they played Cleveland really, really well. And then eventually just the wheels came off and the bears have a tendency to do that. It's not going to be like that against the lions, but the lions are playing tough in every single game. And they're Biting just finding new ways to lose. Biting off kneecaps. And, and right now the bears don't have any more kneecaps <laughs> that they can afford to lose on the offensive side of the ball. So, again, probably a game I'm staying away from. I don't know who's going to start. There's been rumors that Matt Nagy could go to Nick Foles and that I have to take a personal day from work uh, just to be able to deal with it. So, yeah, it, if, you're, if you're a betting person, do you really want anything to do with this game? I, I think the play is probably just go and take the under, which is, I think, somewhere around 43 and a half and just say, I, I'll bet this game, but I have no interest in watching it. <laughs> yeah, no interest in watching it, betting it, looking at it, having it on our Pick'em Challenge. I just don't want anything to do with that game at all. Unfortunately, in our Pick'em uh, League that we do for the station, we have to pick these yeah. games. Yeah, and, I, and, I do, and I do think they win. I, I think there's too much desperation for them not to be able to at least find some way to win, but 
you know, it, I just don't want anything to do from a betting perspective. With I can't do it, man. I can't back bet. Uh, put Matt Nagy. I no. I, I can't do it. <laughs> I'm picking yeah, the Lions because I don't trust them. That's the Lions straight up, and you've seen what that happened is correct. With the Lions. Yeah, but they almost won. Heist. Like I felt <laughs> good about them if it wasn't for the refs screwing them over this past I weekend. I think they have a competent football coach, which is terrifying to say when I'm talking about Dan Campbell. But I think he's competent, and I'm not sure Matt Nagy is. And at least their quarterback can throw more than 47 <laughs> yeah. yards in a game. There's there's so many things that we could have a conversation on. But that, you know, did you know that with Cleveland like playing the way that they did, you know how many times they had more than than five people, the more than the regular five offensive linemen to protect Justin Fields in that game? Two, two times they tried to protect the future of their franchise. Besides Jason Peters, you guys know what Jason Peters was doing before the NFL season? He's 39 years old. He was fishing they brought in a fisherman to protect their blind side and there's just so much incompetence at the top of that team that uh, now i'm going again it's all right their quarterback doesn't run a 4-4 and succeeded with rpos and sprint outs it's fine quarterback that has a 4-4 time on his 40 but no let's 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 use the andy dalton game plan because that's gotten you so far this year yeah it'll be great man hey at least they're uh they're very happy with where they're playing right now down in chicago and they're not going to move far away from the city everything's going really well right now for the chicago bears yeah everything's just coming up bears left and right go bears, go bears. Best. that's ben eisler managing editor at betside and you could also follow him on twitter you should do so he's one of the best benny heist b-e-n-n-y-h-e-i-s is where you find him on twitter Heist, we always appreciate the time man we'll talk with you again next week have a great rest of your week, guys. Be good. Same to you. That's Ben Heisler joining us here as it's 1218. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Joined us on BK and Ferrario. The Bears are one of the least interesting teams to watch in the NFL right now. And they did so despite having the guy that I was maybe the most excited to watch in the NFL yeah. coming into the season. I'm really worried they're going to break Justin Fields because I was I was all aboard the Chicago Bears train of like ready to be a fan because I loved Justin Fields. But I'm really worried they're going to break that man. I'm not overreacting right now. I promise you. If they would have fired Matt Nagy the moment that game ended, I would have totally understood. Me too. It was one of the most illogical game plans I have ever seen put together by a football coach at any period of time in the NFL since I've been watching the league. I'm it take, was unbelievable. I'm taking the Lions in our 101 ESPN and Pick'em Challenge because I just don't trust the Bears. Yeah, I, there's no way I'm picking that team. No. no chance. After what we've seen from them, the Lions nearly beat the Ravens last weekend. No way. Uh, absolutely not. Am I picking the Bears going into this weekend with Alex Ferrario? He's Tanner Hendrickson and I'm Brandon Kylie. coming up in 15 minutes or so. We got to get into our college football whip around. We have not been able to do so so far this week. Guys, I think I BKO'd a college football team. I BKO'd an airline. Now a college football team has Yikes. been BKO's. We'll get into that in about 15 minutes or so. But coming up next, I've got some numbers on how the Cardinals and Dodgers compare offensively. You might be surprised by the results. We'll tell you that next on 101 ESPN. Bye, Bears. We're right back to more of it. It's BK and Ferrario, live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. This is what they do. This is what the Cardinals do. They've done this in previous seasons. They've done it as a spoiler. They've done it getting in and keeping you out, so therefore replacing you. They've done it in the first round of the playoffs. They've done it in the second round of the playoffs. Tony, when you got Wainwright and John Lester, these are accomplished guys. I mean, they both may go to the Hall of Fame. 
I don't Those think so. guys are the boogeyman. They can take somebody out. That makes you a threat. It's what it sounded like yesterday on PTI as Mike Wilbon was talking about the Cardinals as the potential boogeyman to all of the NL competitors this postseason with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. I think the Dodgers should be very, very, very afraid of the Cardinals going into this wild card matchup, if that is indeed the team that they end up seeing. And it seems like it's lining up that way. The Dodgers are two games back with four to play. It's going to be tough unless the Giants collapse and we have no reason to believe that they will. It's going to be tough for the Dodgers to keep up. So, Alex, I think the biggest question for a lot of Cardinals fans is, okay, A, how are you going to be able to hit Max Scherzer? And B, how does the Cardinals lineup match up against the Dodgers going into the postseason? Because all we hear about is, man, they are deep as hell, and they've got all kinds of all-stars. Their lineup is basically all-star from top to bottom. I looked into some of the numbers yesterday about how the Cardinals and Dodgers compare over the last two months. So this is not just during the Cardinals winning streak. This is going all the way back to the trade deadline. Since August 1st, how do these two teams stack up? Alex, I was legitimately surprised by how they compare to one another. So if you look at batting average, the Cardinals are 25 points better in this stretch. They're batting 264. The Dodgers are batting 240 as a team since August 1st. On base percentage, the Cardinals are 10 points better. Slugging percentage, the Cardinals are 25 points better than the Dodgers in this two-month stretch. OPS Plus, which is one of those numbers that Bill Ripken says is fake, it's made up. It's adjusted for ballpark. Cardinals are 10 points better on that. If you're looking at line drive rate, the Cardinals have been better. They've hit 15 more doubles. They've had the exact same number of home runs in this stretch, and the Cardinals have scored 25 more runs along with five more stolen bases than the Dodgers since August 1st. All around, any metric you look at offensively, the Cardinals have not just been better by the Do- than the Dodgers since August 1st. They've been markedly better in literally every statistic that I could find, Alex. Does that change at all your impression on the Cardinals offense versus the Dodgers offense going into the postseason? It only changed because of the pitcher they're going up against. And we've talked a lot about the Cardinals schedule in the second half. And I know that we this was kind of the full season, correct? You're looking this at is since August 1st. So. I mean, the second half, we've talked a lot about them facing the Pirates and the Tigers. And yes, they faced the Milwaukee Brewers, but they also went against the Cincinnati Reds, who they've had success against. You look at the Mets pitching staff that they went up against. Their best pitcher was Marcus Stroman. The Dodgers had bullpen games against the Cardinals. They've had an unreal 17 games, and they've been playing fantastic since August 1st, where you're looking at these numbers. I do think they're a lot closer to the Dodgers than what people believe when you look at it on paper and say, oh, well, the Dodgers are significantly better. No, they're not. But I also would sit here and say, when you put the Cardinals offense against a Max Scherzer and the Dodgers offense against Wayno, I think I'm still giving the edge to the L.A. Dodgers just because of the names that go with it and the track record behind it. I think I think I kind of lean with you is that I don't really know if there's one pitcher that we've seen We've seen the Cardinals beat a Corbin Burns. Uh, we've seen a couple of the names from Milwaukee that they've been able to beat. But I, I don't know if I look at them yet because they don't have a postseason track record like a Max Scherzer does. And and that's what that's where I give the Dodgers so a little the bit pitching. of the edge. Yeah, it goes a little bit more towards the pitching rather than me having more faith in the Cardinals or the Dodgers offense compared to the Cardinals offense because I think they're very similar. In fact, I may actually even give them the edge 
the thing is though is with Max Scherzer being on the mound for the Dodgers, that's where I think the bit I think he's such a difference maker that he gives the Dodgers a slight edge over the Cardinals heading into that wild card game. I was just surprised to see it that close, to be honest with you. And I know that it does include this hot streak in, in September, so that definitely skews the numbers a bit, and that is that's baked into these, but it's not just the 17-game winning streak. It's also what they did in August when they were solid but not great. That wasn't the team that we watched over the last three weeks now. Um, so for that to be that close, I'll say it for myself, it gives me a lo- it gave me a lot more confidence that this Cardinals team can beat head-to-head the Dodgers. And I know you're going up against Max Scherzer, and I get that, and that is not going to be an easy task. But if you had told me prior to this stretch that the Cardinals lineup would even be similar to the Dodgers, I would have called you crazy. There's no way that right now, given the lineup, the the talent that is in the Cardinals lineup on a day-to-day basis versus the talent that's in the Dodgers, those two should not be close. But they've played that way. Harrison Bader has been much better of late. You've watched what it's like to see Dylan Carlson start to get hot. You've seen what it's like when you have your 2-3-4 in the middle of your lineup playing the way that for much of the season, the Dodgers 2-3-4 in their lineup has played. So I give them every chance, even against the best pitchers. We've seen it against Woodruff. We've seen it against Peralta. We saw it against Hauser. Like we've seen the Cardinals go up against some very good pitching, even of late. And they've been, they've done by and large pretty darn well against them. So I think this Cardinals team is just really good right now. Even when you compare them against the best of the best, they stack up against all of them. And think about the step that that means the offense is taken because when we talked Early in the year, or even in spring training, we said, ah, well, the deepest the Cardinals line could be is like one through five. They'll never compete with the Dodgers lineup. They'll never compete with the depth of the Padres lineup. And that just shows you this, the strides that this offense has taken throughout the year to where we're now having the conversation of this offense is very similar to the mighty Dodgers, that that beast out west. So I, I think that that's encouraging to see because that means guys are stepping into their role. They're starting to take the strides towards getting even better at the plate, like Tyler O'Neill, like Harrison Bader, Dylan Carlson, as you mentioned. So uh, even if they aren't, even if you give the Dodgers a slight edge, you have to be feeling really good heading into next year as well. If we're having this conversation now compared to what it was in spring training, this is an interesting touch text. And maybe we've done this before, but it says go position by position and tell me who you'd rather have the Dodgers and the Cardinals. And they said that includes defense and speed. It's not close for me. Shortstop would be the only Dodger I would take. Let's go through this. I mean, the tough part with the Dodgers is they don't have like a, a legitimately set lineup. But you go off of familiar names like right field's Mookie Betts. I think we all would take Mookie Betts over Dylan Carlson. Correct. Center field's Cody Bellinger. Kind of. He, he, he's he been off and on this year with the, with his playing time because he's been terrible. I would take right now. I know this is going to sound crazy, but right now I would take Harrison Bader over Cody Bellinger because Bellinger has been that bad. And see, I don't think that's crazy. I would take Harrison Bader as well. But I I think for a lot of our audience, they hear me say that and they're like, you're an idiot. Cody Bellinger has been an MVP. Cody Bellinger this year is batting 160. 160 on the season. He's having a Paul DeYoung year. He's having, well, I'll just say Matt Carpenter kind of numbers. Left field is A.J. Pollock, but you have Chris Taylor there. But I would take left field for the Cardinals over the Dodgers. No, anyway, third base, Arenado over Justin Turner. Yes. Shortstop, they have Trey Turner, Corey Seager over Edmundo Sosa, Paul DeYoung. That's the Dodgers. Second base is kind of the same thing. It's Corey Seager, Trey Turner. You're taking taking the the Dodgers. 
First base, Paul Goldschmidt, catcher. Or Max, and then Max Muncy. I think I'd take Max Muncy. He's had an MVP. Well, no. Yeah, Paul I think, it's, I think it's cool. I think it's yeah. a push because Goldschmidt's had that too. And defensively, I'd probably, I, I would lean Goldie out of the two. But yeah. if you want to call it a push, I'm more than happy and to see, do that. catcher, I think if, if you're a Cardinals fan, you would say Yachty. But you look at the season Will Smith Will is Smith. having. Yeah, I'm taking, taking Will Smith. Smith. And then pitching, you're going to go pitching, with. You're, taking, you're going with the Dodgers as well. What about bullpen, though? Would you I'd go? I think I'd go Cardinals bullpen over the Dodgers bullpen. It's close. If you want to give it to the. The Cardinals, I'd be happy. I'm fine with doing so. It's close to a push. What we just did, I I was counting as we went. The Dodgers got five positions, the Cardinals got four, and there was one more that we didn't do, which was first base. And I would tend to lean towards the Cardinals on that one. That's five to five. Like this, this matchup is a lot closer than at the beginning of the year I would have anticipated. And the reason is because some of the Dodgers that we expected to be great have not been. I thought Gavin Lux was going to have a breakout season this year. He hasn't. He's been solid for them, but he's not the guy that I anticipated him being. And Cody Bellinger has become one of the worst everyday hitters in all of baseball. That's what he's been so far this year. And when you have that, it changes the depth of their lineup compared to what the Cardinals have done, which is add more depth to theirs. So when you go into this wild card series, the reason why I wanted to bring up some of those offensive numbers is because the Dodgers, going back to that that quote that we heard at the beginning of the segment from Michael Wilbon, the Dodgers have been the boogeyman when it comes to their offense in recent years. It's not necessarily that way right now. When Mm -hmm. you stack it up one-to-one, the Cardinals versus the Dodgers lineups, it's pretty close. You'd probably still take the Dodgers because they've done it all year long, whereas the Cardinals is really the last couple of months. But for the here and now, when these teams face one another and it's now, it's a push for me. And so it's just a matter of Wayno versus Scherzer on one day, which one of those two guys can be better. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. Speaking of playoff pitching, Brian Price is a former Major League Baseball manager. He was a pitching coach for a number of years as well. How do you set up your playoff rotation? How do you determine for a guy like Jack Flaherty, for example, whether or not you put him on your playoff roster? How do you set all of this up? We're going to ask Brian Price when he joins us next on 101 ESPN. This is exactly where you want to be listening to us. It's BK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. Balance Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll dive into the junk drawer here in about 10 minutes or so, but right now we are very happy to go out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line to be joined by Brian Price, the former Major League Manager and pitching coach. He's joining us to help us figure out how the Cardinals, how teams in general, set up their pitching for the postseason. Brian, we always appreciate the time. How are you doing today? Doing doing great. Excited to be on with you guys and uh been watching the winning streak there in St. Louis. I imagine the fans are pumped there. So it's, it's exciting times for the Cardinals. It's been incredible. Uh, we thought this season was over in August. And as you know, that's never how it works with baseball. They found a way to turn it on in a big way in the month of September. And now we're talking about a wild card game. And Brian, you you have experience with this. In 2013, as you were the pitching coach with the Reds, you guys ended up playing the Pirates in that wild card what is it like as a pitching coach going through some of the situations, some of the decisions that you have to do leading up to that game of how you're going to set up your pitching in that game? Yeah, I think it's uh, it's unique if it's a one game series. You know, those are those are the the most challenging. You know, we we put all of our uh, you know all of our uh, our hopes on the shoulders of Johnny Cueto, but he had struggled with a lat strain the all, the entire year. And uh, uh, Matt Latos was our second guy, and he had some elbow 
issues. And so we just kind of rolled the dice and it didn't work out terribly well. But I think in a, in a situation, a short, either a one game or a short series is you're really trying to get, if you have the luxury of clinching in time, you're trying to get your, your best pitching lined up uh, and attack that first game um, and, and get after it with your best guy. If you can, unfortunately, if you go down to the wire and you have to play all the way until the last game or two to, to define your spot, uh, in the postseason, then sometimes it's just a roll of the dice on what you have left to pitch in that first game. So um, it really depends on the circumstances. It's good that the Cardinals are in because they can start to line things up or back some innings off everybody in their last appearances and, and set the stage for the postseason, which is a real advantage. Brian, when you're headed into this one-game wild card, which the Cardinals are, are set up for this upcoming Wednesday, you know you are looking at Adam Wainwright, who gets the start, and say, look, this guy can give us seven innings if we need him to. But how much from a pitching mindset are you sitting there saying, okay, here's the strategy when we have to go to our bullpen so you can pull that trigger quick? Yeah, that's a tough, that's a tough call because sometimes, you know, that, that, that toughest inning might be the first or second inning, you know, or the first or third inning, you know, that second time you're going through the top of the order or whatever it may be. Uh, and, and you can't really afford, especially if you're going up against another team's number one is to, to fall behind by three or four runs early in the game. Um, and when you're in that do or die scenario, I think you don't, you no longer really have that luxury, uh, to wait and see if your veteran guy makes it through a rough area. So I think you're, you're almost constantly in a, in a position where you know exactly who you're going to want up every time your pitcher goes out and takes, take, takes the ball to start an inning, you know, exactly who your first guy is that you're going to get up based on how that particular inning goes. So you're not thinking, okay, who will we, who will we want ready in the sixth or the seventh or the eighth? You're thinking from the first inning, if things don't go right, who would be our first guy in this ballgame? And that's the mindset that changes from the regular season into the postseason, as you quite often don't have the luxury of allowing a starter, even your best guy, to go out there and struggle early in the game and have a game get away from you uh, too early. Brian Price is our guest here on 101 ESPN. Brian, another thing that interests me is the Cardinals season will come to an end on Sunday afternoon against the Cubs. And like you said, they're, they're already in. So they know these next four games to including today right now, it's all about setting things up for that wild card game. But the wild card game in the National League is not until Wednesday this year. So they've got two off days leading into that Wednesday night game against either the Dodgers or the Giants. The Cardinals have said that they're having conversations right now with Adam Wainwright, who's going to start that game. His last start was Tuesday night about whether or not he wants to get some innings in this weekend to be able to make sure that he's still on that normal rest. What are those conversations like around this time of year when you've got whether it be Wayno who's going to start that game or some of your relievers to keep them fresh? What are the conversations like of, hey, how do you want to set this up leading into that wild card scenario? Yeah, well, I think the most important thing is 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 if you have a younger guy that's going to be making that start, I think that conversation is is hugely impactful and needs to be really steered by the by the the leadership, the manager, and the pitching coach. You got a guy like Adam Wainwright; he knows exactly what he needs to do. He's been through this. He's closed the World Series. He's he's been in the World Series as a starting pitcher. He's he's found a way to stay really impactful as a 39 year old uh, pitcher in the same division for years and years. Um, so I, I would turn to him and say, what do you need? You know, and I would make sure that he was starting the game. You know, if he wanted to pitch an inning or two innings, that he started the game and was able to maintain the same routine. I'm sure, imagine that's what he would want as well. 
um, and, and turn to him to make to make that decision. You know, as far as innings, how many times you want to get up and down? Is there a pitch threshold you want to get to? You want to go one time through the lineup? Uh, you know, whatever it may be. Uh, and that's a really important conversation, but I think he'll drive that narrative a bit as far as what he needs. As far as the bullpen guys, I think the pitching coach and manager should have a pretty good feel on what their guys need. They'll, they'll know the back history, how much they've been throwing in the, in the previous week, who needs the rest, uh, who's um, more uh, on point you know, with their command and their stuff based on days of rest. A lot of times you'll see guys that pitch a third day in a row lose effectiveness, some on a second day in a row lose effectiveness, and some, if they go more than two days in a row without pitching, show a bit of rust. So uh, the staff, I'm sure, knows that better than anybody else on what the relievers will need, and they'll put them in the best spot to be ready to pitch in that in that game. Brian, speaking of the bullpen, something that BK and I have gone back and forth with is the role of Jack Flaherty, and he's only pitched, I think it's been five appearances going all the way back to May 31st because he's had a lot of injuries this season. Now, he's appeared twice since September 24th, you're not sure if he's going to be able to start because of the injury risk with a guy like Jack Flaherty. Do you leave him off of a playoff roster in a wild card game because of the opportunities he really hasn't had, or do you still put him on there because of the name and what he could do if you needed to go to him? I think it would probably be, be uh, prudent to, to kind of decide on if his value as a length relief pitcher is something that you absolutely have to have. If there's a, a rain delay that knocks a starter out, if there's a situation, I just think in a in a in a playoff game of this magnitude, is that you're going to have every one of your bullpen guys capable of throwing anywhere from an inning to two innings, and the length relief may not be as important. Um, uh, so that, I think that's the big thing is that you've got to get off and win that first game, and you're likely to do it with with your main bullpen guys. So um, that'll be a decision that they'll make uh, that, that uh, it may not be a make or break decision unless maybe you get in a scenario where you're, you know, you're in extra innings and you've done all your matchup play all the way down to the end. And now you really don't have a quality guy there. That's got to, you know, but in the way that the dynamics now with the runner starting at second base, there's just not a lot of those 13, 15, 17 inning games to worry about, but uh, he'd be a tough to leave off. I can tell you that. Brian Price is our guest for another couple of minutes here on 101 ESPN. Brian, what are some of the other scenarios that are getting kicked around right now as a pitching coach, as a manager leading into that wild card game, going into the final weekend of this uh, of the season for the Cardinals? What are some of those conversations that are like from your experience? Well, the game's changing really fast, you know, so the so the quick hook, the matchup play starting the second time through the lineup isn't unusual anymore. The, the use of a opener for some of these teams that may not have a like an Adam Wainwright, that was your definitive number one guy who's been there and he's he's been terrific. Um, I think there's that that real desire now for matchup baseball. So I think that's the thing that's made the game look a little bit more unusual is not it's not strange to turn the ball game on maybe in the fourth inning and it's a one to nothing game and both starters are out of the game because the managers want to start matching up with their bullpen right away. Um, I just don't think that's a Cardinals. I can't see the Cardinals doing that with a guy like Wainwright because it's not just that he's had a great year. It's that he's been there so many times. He's, he's the guy, you know, you, you may have a bullpen that's been tremendous, but if you've got guys that are going there for the first time or haven't had any really a substantial role in a post on a postseason team, you know, throwing them into a must-win scenario, uh, you don't necessarily know what you're going to get as opposed to what you got during the regular season. So 
Um, there's some real challenges. I think some teams are going to go by that, that uh, analytics uh, matchup play and, um, and try to get their starter through the lineup once, perhaps maybe into a second, in through a second time if they can, and then get right to their bullpen. And that, that's a much different look than, you know, if you're watching a baseball game even, you know, five or six years ago. So um, it, it's kind of to each his own now. But I do think that analytic style of play does change the look of a, of, of, of a postseason now more so than ever. And final question for you, Brian. I know every every manager will say around this time of year, it's about us. It's not about who we're going up against. But if the Cardinals do end up playing the Dodgers in that one game wild card, chances are they're going to be going up against Max Scherzer. How much does that change, if at all, the plans for the Cardinals' management and for their uh, pitching situation going into the wild card game? Who they're going up against, and specifically it being Max Scherzer? Yeah, that's a that's a tough one. You know, I think it's the the you hope to be able to to kind of put place that same type of pressure uh, on the Dodgers by the fact that Wainwright's starting. You know, and I think that there's. You know, he, he's not the same strikeout dominant pitcher that Scherzer is, but he's uh, he's unbelievably uh, effective and efficient and, and has been in that scenario so many times that it can't be a comfortable uh, scenario for the Dodgers any more than it would be for the Cardinals. So um, I, I, when push comes to shove, I mean, it was, you know, Scherzer, you know, um, you know pitched yesterday, uh, for at least from what I saw, gave up some runs. Um, you know, every, anybody's beatable on any given day and you don't have any idea what's going to happen. A ball gets lost in the sun or a guy doesn't find his best command until the second inning and you've scored three in the first. I mean, anything can happen. So instead of saying, okay, well, look, it's going to be a one, nothing game. We've got to grind. We've got to match up. We've got to do X, Y, and Z. You have to let the game be played and, and allow those guys. I mean, this team won 17 in a row. I, I would imagine that there's nobody that wants to play the Cardinals right now. And it's not going to be lost on anybody on the Dodgers or whoever the Cardinals play that this is the hottest team going into the postseason. So um, I think they just need to keep the swagger in these, these last few games of the regular season. And they will be like the Colorado Rockies were in 07, you know, the team to beat really um, out of the National League. He's Brian Price, former manager and pitching coach in the major leagues. We always appreciate him hopping on with us here on 101 ESPN. Brian, thank you so much for spending a little bit of your time with us today. Hopefully we'll talk with you again soon if the Cardinals go on a nice little run here in the postseason. Sounds great, guys. Good luck. Enjoy it. Thanks, Absolutely. Brian. Same to you. That's Brian Price joining us here on 101 ESPN. Hugely appreciate him taking the time to spend it with us. That last quote that he gave us. Nobody wants to play the Cardinals right now, and if they continue this thing, they could be the next 2007 Rockies where they ended up going straight to the World Series. They were on fire going into the playoffs. I think they won like 11 of 12 going in, something like that, and then they ended up being the team to beat moving forward. Of course, it didn't work out for them in the actual World Series, but... That's the kind of thing that if you're the Cardinals, you're looking at and saying that momentum, hopefully that transitions to us the same way that it did for the Rockies. Man, I remember that Rockies roster too. And like, I want to go back and, and just be sure that I'm on top of it. But, you know, they had a guy like Todd Helton, who, I mean, very comparable to what Paul Goldschmidt has been doing right now. Matt, Matt Holiday. Holiday, like a Nolan Arenado, Ta- uh, Troy Tulowitzki, kind of like a uh, Tyler O'Neill. I mean, if they are like a 2007 Colorado Rockies team, it's going to come down to the depth coming through because they had a lot of guys who stepped up off of the bench. And I think we've all talked about how that's going to be the biggest thing for this Cardinals team if they do want to make a run. Um, but man, I love Brian Price's breakdown there with that because he's right. Like if you're this team, I mean, and look, I know it's, it's hockey compared to baseball, but it's the same with the blues. 
You went into the playoffs in 1819. Nobody wanted to deal with them because of the confidence that they were riding. That's why I'm really paying close attention to these next four games before that wild card game begins. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Joey Vitale, the Blues analyst, going to join the show coming up at 1 o'clock. But coming up next, we're diving into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Ferrario, that's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Time to dive into the junk drawer. Tanner, what do you have for us today, my man? All right, so I found this article the other day about a gravestone that had been missing for almost 150 years, which that's a long time in itself. But you know where they found it? I would think this would be like the last place you guys would think they would find it. They found it at like one of them old fudge shops where they make fudge on, on the surface, you know? They were using this gravestone. And they were making the fudge on top of it. Remember the old fudge one that was down at Union Station? I can't remember oh, yeah, where they, yeah, where, where they... you see them making, they got it on like the table. Yeah, yeah. These people were using a gravestone. Did they know they were using a gravestone? No, they found. I don't. I can't, it doesn't really say how they discovered that it was an actual gravestone. I, I mean, guess they just I would imagine to you out. see the front of it. I was gonna say you <laughs> flip it over and the, no. the fudge is falling but into I mean, the letters R.I.P. I mean, I assume that they, since they've been doing this for a couple years, had assumed that it was just like one of those. Uh, what do you call it? fake gravestones where it's like built as a Halloween decoration and they said oh yeah it must not be a real but, one but was it in the shape that of a haunted. tombstone you gotta get rid of it yeah was it in the shape of a tombstone yeah and they didn't know it was a tombstone <laughs> Halloween decoration okay again in the shape of a freaking that's tombstone on that's on you know, them for this not is a smart story. It's weird. and they got it on this an, is a tick this came from tiktok this is a tiktok a, they got it on an auction site where they bought it you too. know what you were trying hey. to Okay, so two things happened here. Either A, they knew it all along and they wanted it to be that way, or B, this is a fake story from TikTok and somebody's trying to play all of us because T-bone. we all know stuff from the from, internet, not T-bone real. T-Bone doesn't have a TikTok, T-bone, so it's not from TikTok. Why are you bringing in fake stories to the junk drawer, man? We are story. all about important things like USBs going into somebody's private parts. Ew. Okay. We didn't need to bring that one up again. Well, you're, you're the, the one, one that originally brought it, the brought first it up. Time. I, I regretted it the moment that it happened. No, you didn't. You enjoyed it. We got another story for you guys today. It's about nuts. <laughs> Did we just... A man in North Dakota has been saddled with a massive cleanup job because great, great of... Great use of the word saddle. Because of a squirrel. A squirrel has been taking 42 gallons worth of black walnuts... From the walnut tree that is in his front yard, this is in North Dakota, and putting them inside of his truck, not like on the interior or anything, but his truck, It's he's been doing some work on it. Was it hanging off the back end like the trucks usually have so on the road? If you see this right here, Alex, the pair of- he's got the front end that's been kind of taken apart. He's doing some work on the engine in the front, and the the squirrel has been putting 42 gallons you see all of those i'm showing them to alex right now all of those nuts that's that's a whole lot of nuts seven paint buckets full of walnuts in his front inside of the uh the front end of the truck check this out alex they are everywhere dude they're inside of the engine they i don't know anything about cars i don't know anything about nuts it doesn't right now because he's been taken over by this damn squirrel. Man, this squirrel is just said, you know what? What do you do in this spot? You're you not just give the truck to the squirrel. You're not supposed to kill it, right? You're not supposed to kill it upon the squirrel? 
Yeah. Isn't that frowned upon? Mm, I'm sorry, but yeah. if you're going to mess with my engine, yeah, I might have to take care of the squirrel. I don't know, man. Do, uh, do what that one story was where you just say free car and somebody will take it. <laughs> yeah, somebody, the guy that is going to um, pick it up and finds a body in the yeah. back end. Look, I understand like it's car. frowned upon to, to harm animals, but if you're messing up my car, I'm going to have to find another spot for you. I think it's the I think it's the squirrel, and it might now. be in the fudge factory. The squirrel the squirrel owns that car now. I used to own it. Well, now you don't it's like chocolate covered nuts. Actually, that would be pretty good. Chocolate covered squirrel nuts. I'd be all for that. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, like and I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll play a game of Believe It or Not. 65780 yes. is the air comfort service text line for Believe It or Not. But coming up next, the Blues have played a few preseason games now. What stood out to Joey Vitale about some of the competitions that are taking place on the roster? We'll ask Joey next on 101 ESPN. We're talking Blues hockey. It's the Joey Vitale Report on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by The Electrical Connection. When you need quality electrical work for your home or business, visit electricalconnection.org. Tanner Hendrickson and I'm Brandon Kylie. It's our favorite time of the week. We're joined by Joey Vitale via the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Joey, 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 Joey. Ah. And the crowd goes wild. Joey, what's, up, what, what's good, man? How you doing? I'm doing good. I just introduced my kids to Liar Liar by Jim Carrey. So oh, it's great movie. So Fantastic. I just told Stoltz and Rivers yesterday, best line from that movie is where he goes, how's it hanging? Short, shriveled, and to the left. Short, shriveled, and to the left. I'm telling you, man, it is, it is a classic Jim Carrey. Uh, I put it up there at the top three, just underneath. I mean, Dumb and Dumber, you got to go yeah. with it. But another sneaky Jim Carrey movie, Me, Myself, and Irene, yep. one of the absolute greatest. Fun story about that, Joe. So my parents took me to see that when it was in theaters because they didn't know how bad of a movie it was. And when they stuck the chicken up the guy's rear end, my mom had to take me out of the movie because it was too inappropriate for a 12-year-old. No, man. I'm telling you, your mom made a major mistake right there. I Listen, I got a 10, 8, and 6-year-old, and they keep rewinding the, the scene from Liar Liar with the, with the girl with the big boobs. And it's like, oh, it's just because you got a big jug. And they're laughing hysterically. I mean, this, they're literally watching for the 30th time. That's incredible. Joey, here's a question for you. Rank these three in order, if you could. Will Ferrell, Adam Sandler, Jim Carrey for their movie catalog. Which of those three are you going with in order? Oof. I mean, from top to bottom, from I think from a longevity standpoint, consistency just put me over the edge over the years and decades. Really, Jim Carrey has to be number one. Uh, I think I think Will Ferrell maybe packs a little more punch per movie, but you're looking at a whole package. Jim Carrey's got to be number one. I'm going to go with number two of Will Ferrell, and I and I hate to do it, but I think Adam Sandler, although extremely funny. I think I think he's got me put him number three. You know, another sneaky good Jim Carrey movie, Joey, is The Mask. It's a good one. Always yeah. one of my favorites. And also remember how good looking Cameron Diaz was in that film. Great movie. Man, <laughs> she was she was a me. I, I, that's another great movie. I kind of yeah. forgot about that one. That, that may need to throw on the list. That's the next for the kids. I like it. All right, Joey. Speaking of looking pretty good, Logan Brown so far has looked good for the Blues, especially last night. What'd you see from him, and what's been your impression of the young man so far? Yeah, listen, I think Logan's done a, uh, a wonderful job in the, in the short time he's been here. You know, uh, there is always something to consider when you're talking about a player that's only been a part of one organization. He's been a part of the Ottawa Center's family since he was drafted back in 2016. So certainly a big adjustment for him coming to a whole new organization. I think it's, you know, from a personal standpoint, it is better that he's 
back in St. Louis where he is familiar and has some things that kind of come with the day-in, day-out grind of things where it's not so kind of foreign. So with that being said, I have a liked, I have liked a lot of his game uh, coming back to St. Louis over the first four days. Three days in camp, he looked really good. And then his biggest you know, showcase was last night during the game in Columbus, you know, he was given a great opportunity from his coaching staff, which is exactly what they have to do to really fully see what he is. Not only five on five anchoring that second line, he killed penalties. He was out there on the power play. There was a four on four situation. He went out there for it to, to kind of be a part of that for a minute, a part of the shootout. I mean, every facet of the game last night, the blues gave him an opportunity for, and I thought he did very, very well. You know, was it a situation where he stood out saying, oh, my God, this guy has to be on the team? I think if you asked him and asked him in the organization, they would say, yeah, maybe, maybe not. But I think it was, it was a great step in the right direction. This is all about baby steps for him. And when you are looking for confidence, which according to him and Craig Berube is the number one thing that needs to change in his game, uh, that happens in baby steps. And last night was a great step in the right direction. For Logan Brown. So, Joe, someone texted in earlier and asked me, you know, these five names, how would you rank them in terms of standing out to the coaching staff and chances of making the squad? They said James Neal, Dakota Joshua, Logan Brown, Michael Froelich, and Clem Costin. That was the order that I put them in. I had Neal as number one as he had five shots on goal last night. I put Joshua number two, but I had Logan Brown over Clem Costin and Michael Froelich. What are your thoughts? You know, I think that based off of what I just saw last night, and again, this is one game of what I saw out of Clint Costin. Um, so it, it, it's a long camp. And this is one game. There's only been a couple games we saw of James Neal. Again, it's a long camp. So for different reasons. I mean, I think Clint's got a different level he's got to get to. And I think James Neal could fall off still a little bit because he's playing very good. So it's important to kind of take these little snapshots and kind of put them together to make a movie. And that's what the whole preseason is going to kind of unfold for us. But to begin things out, we're three, there are three games in. Um, you know, I will put James Neal on top of that list, simply from what I've seen. Now, you put aside the fact that he's in his 30s. Put aside the fact maybe he's towards the tail end of his career. Put aside, you know, the, the 700 games, whatever he is right now, and the, and the two Stanley Cup appearances with the National Predators and Vegas Golden Knights. You know, put all that aside and put the fact that Clint Costin is brand new, brand, brand new and fresh and has lots of potential. You know, you put everything aside. Just, we're just comparing apples to apples. I think James Neal has made the best case to make this team out of camp. Now, unfortunately, as we all know, or fortunately for whoever you're asking, that's not the only thing that goes in to the decisions that will be made about who's making this team. So decisions like, well, who's younger? Who's a part of our draft family? Who, who, who has that, the potential to play right wing, left wing? Who can groom in the minors for a couple of years? Then we can call them up. So all those things kind of get into the consideration. But if you're just simply talking about hockey players and who has really stood out, I really like James's game. And this is something that this is why Doug Armstrong brought him in. He was familiar with him in Dallas. I played with James Neal in Pittsburgh for four years. He's a streaky guy. He, he's streaky like David Perron. I mean, he came to Pittsburgh when I was there. I think he went 25 or 30 games without scoring a goal. And we were both laughing about it on the plane last night. But once he had that first kind of funny bounce that went in, in at, at the Pittsburgh Center, the Council Energy Center at the time, I'll never forget it. Something happened to him. He was paired up with Gino, and they just literally went on a tear for about three years where they were unstoppable. So is that kind of something in the making right now? Maybe he got a hat trick in the first game. Last night he could have scored two goals. I thought his line had the most chances with Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo. So that's the best case. You know, Clem Costin's a very young kid. He, everything was comfortable. Everything was kind of very, very within his grasp in Russia. Wins a KHL title. He's on top of the world. Now he's come over to a completely new country. That's, it's, it's really, really hard 
especially for a young player with the language barrier and all kinds of different stuff going on. It's going to take him time to get there. One thing I loved about his game last night, he had the energy. Maybe it wasn't manifest in the right way or didn't lead to some scoring chances. Uh, one turnover led to a goal again. So uh, the mistakes were happening, but the best part about him is the foundation of what he's going to be, that energy, that spark plug, that passionate player, the up and down, north, south, smash mouth, get in your face, finish every check. That was there. So when you consider those things, things are looking pretty good for Clem. But definitely he's looking to find a little bit more swagger on the offense then, I think. And BK, to Joey's point, Neil scored one goal in 20 games with Pittsburgh in 2010-2011. The next year he had 40 goals and 81 <laughs> points. Not not bad. I, I think we would take that. Um, Joey, I did want to ask you about another guy that I feel like every time that I'm listening to your broadcast right now in the preseason, I'm hearing so, him doing something impressive on the ice, and that's Robert Thomas. And this is a big year for him. Last year was disappointing. I think he would tell you that it was disappointing with the health issues and then just never really totally clicking on the ice. What have you seen thus far from Robert Thomas, and does he look any different in terms of specific things that you've noticed from him on the ice? You know, from from an on-ice standpoint, I think he's gotten even more patient, which is impressive because he's already been a very patient player, almost too patient at times. You know, and I had a great conversation with uh, Keith Kachuk on the plane there and back last night to Columbus. And that's what we just, we, we rave constantly about Robert's game is that he's got that kind of personality off the ice and the same personality on the ice where he doesn't get too excited too quickly. And you look at that goal last night by McGinn, and this is exactly what I'm talking about. If you, didn't, if you missed the game, look at the replay. He comes in the offensive zone. He buttons up looking for James Neal. James Neal ends up changing, so he's really out of help. And the Columbus Blue Jackets recognize that. He has no one around him, so they literally storm him. They had three guys on top of him. And instead of just throwing the puck away, which 99% of the players in the league would do or just eat it behind the net, he actually found a little bit of space. He kind of did like a little ski swivel to kind of own a little bit of time, own a little bit more time because he knew at some point the wave was coming. And he waited so long where a lane actually opened up right to McGain, right down the middle, perfect pass, right on the tape, and the Blues were on the board. So that's that patient game that he's always had, and it's even gotten a little bit better. And I think that comes with just confidence and having experience in this league. So that, to me, has been the number one thing I've noticed out of Robert's game, which has been spectacular, his speed. He doesn't blow you away by Jordan Cairo, kind of that, that electric speed as he's flying down the ice, but he gets there almost just as quick as him in a weird kind of weird structured skating way, and I can't even put my finger on it, but he does get there. I think he's the second fastest player on this team right now, so his speed stands out. What's an area I think he continue to improve on? He'd be the first to tell you. He can shoot more. He can shoot more. He can be more selfish. Listen, this is a kid that has won everything. By age 19, imagine this, guys, imagine. You're 19 years old, and you've won every title possible in the sport you try to perfect your whole life. I mean, that, that's crazy. It's crazy to think that. So I say that because there, there is so much more, more growth to come for him, but he's just such a confident player in what he's always done and winning every championship, and that's been a playmaker. He did it in junior. He did it in the Stanley Cup run. So that's what he's really, really comfortable with. But as we know, and Ryan O'Reilly, he always says it perfectly, the idea of, of continuing to grow as a player is you have to always be improving your game and, and, and improv, improvisating your game, if that's, if that's a word, but kind of adjusting your game on the go. And that's something that Robert's learning. It's going to take a little bit of time, but I think for him to be a little bit more selfish at times and maybe instead of look for the pass, maybe go for the shot, I think that's going to kind of open up everything for his line mates and for his team. 
And that, to me, is another level that he is looking to get to this year. Joe, final one from me. We've talked a lot about Scott Perunovich. And in his first two games, I thought he has looked one of the best players on the ice on the defensive side just for his puck decisions. But we saw Jake Wallman last night. What are your thoughts? Because it does seem like that's the internal competition right now for a spot. Yeah, I think that, you know, you look at those two players right there, Alex, and I would agree. I think that that, that bottom hole on the left side is an area they're going to look to see who's going to fill that. I would throw Nico Mikula in the mix as well. They tried him at the right. He's played both sides. But I think that that left shot defenseman on that bottom pair is, is the spot open. And I look at Nico Mikula, Jake Wallman, and then, as you mentioned, Scott Prunovich. Those are the three main ones that are auditioning for that. Very different types of players. They all offer very, very different things. Uh, Nico Mikula is someone that you know you can put in there. He's going to play that big, hard, heavy-nosed game, much like Colton Pareko. And then the other two are more kind of that offensive thought-minded. But the two diff- the difference between Wallman and Perunovic um, is that Wallman is a bit seasoned. He's coming off his best year in the National Hockey League. It was kind of his breakout year last year, so he's coming in with confidence, scored that goal last night. Uh, he's starting to defend way better. He's learned through playing four years in the minors that you've got to be responsible for the puck and you have to step over the boards. And your coach has to trust you that you're going to make the right play. And he's really starting to do that. So that's the advantage for Jake Wallman, I think, over Perunovic. Perunovic has not played hockey in a very long time. Listen, he was COVID right after he won the Hobie Baker, and then he had shoulder surgery. It's been a long time since this young kid, and he is young, that he's played hockey. What do I think is going to happen? I think it's Jake Wallman's spot. I think Scott Perunovic is going to need some games in the minors. I think he's going to spend some time in the minors. He's going to be extremely good in the minors. He's going to have a boatload of points on the power play. He's going to be great on the offensive side of things. And that's where the confidence is going to start to come. And then they're going to call him up, and it's just going to explode. But I'm telling you, from a potential standpoint, Scott Perunovic looks so much like Quinn Hughes. It is, it is insane. I mean, Chris Kerber on the call a couple nights ago, we kept calling him Tory Krug on the power play, and I kept hitting him. I'm like, listen, it's not Krug, it's Prunovich. But the point was, he looks so much like Krug, the way he moves his hips and the way he gets out of trouble. And you think he's cornered, but then he escapes it and he finds that lane. I mean, that pass on the uh, Bucinevich goal, that just sums him up. I mean, he's looking one way and kind of makes a slap pass the other way. That's the creativity of him. And I think if he goes in the minors, plays a lot of games, he's going to come up and he's going to be quite a player. I don't think we're going to have a Kale McCarr, but can we have something close to Quinn Hughes? I really think we can with this kid. Man, that'd be special. Quinn Hughes, I remember that playoff series that the Blues played against Vancouver. I wanted nothing to do with Quinn Hughes. I hated going up against that guy. Hey, final question that I've got for Joey Vitale, Blues analyst for 101 ESPN. I was reading a story on The Athletic last night, and it made me think of you immediately because I remember talking with you last year about the difficulties of this Blues team going through all of the COVID restrictions and how difficult that was. And Chris Wagner opened up to The Athletic about some of the difficulties for him personally and how how he just he never felt right mentally last year it just it, it never clicked for him and some of that was because of his struggles on ice and then it led to some of his struggles off ice and how that it, it got into his head and he was never able to get out of his own head I'm curious Joe you've mentioned a couple of times you were on the plane last night going to the game what's it like for these guys now and your conversations with them just being able to have lunches together, being able to go out for drinks together after games, how much different is this for them mentally to be able to stay in the right headspace? It's inc- incredibly important, BK. I mean, listen, Curbs and I, I, I don't know about Curbs, but I feel like the most popular guy on the plane last night. I mean, these players and coaches, they haven't seen me and Curbs in a long time. And listen, I'm not that special. And Curbs definitely isn't that special. <laughs> but um, but um, players are coming up to us. Colton Pareko, Ivan Barbashev. I mean, players are coming up and just small talking. I had, a, I had a movie. I had notes I wanted to get ready for the game. I didn't spend one time on my notes. I didn't spend one time on the movie 
that I rented because Keith Kachuk was, you know, talking in one ear, and then Ivan Barbashev came up, and then all of a sudden it was Colton Pareko, and, and different coaches. I mean, Dave Taylor came over and just chatted with us. I think, I think you know, we, we missed it a lot, and I think they missed it. I think they missed, you know, what, what it's about, you know, having the whole group and the whole team, and they understand the different pieces and parts about it, and, and they just missed the energy. Listen, last year they were playing pretty good heading into playoffs. Losing David Perron to COVID, that, that blew everything out of the water and completely changed everything. Not only because you lost David Perron, but Doug Armstrong then went to the team and said, when we're going to Colorado, pretend it's the beginning of the season. I mean, it would talk about a deflating thing as a player. You're finally excited to go out and be with your teammates, and then your general manager comes in and says, nope, you're not going to dinner. We're going to stay put because hockey is the most important thing right now. And Doug had to say that, and he had to do that. And it was actually the right decision. But the players just completely got deflated. This is a team, I'll finish off with this, and I'm kind of probably getting short on time. This is a team that thrives off the foundation of what makes them successful, and that is the relationships. It's always been that way ever since Ryan O'Reilly got here. It's why they won in 2019. They're a tight team, and it's built upon the relationships that they've made. Throughout COVID, throughout the last couple seasons, it's been hard. They haven't been able to try to do that. The good news this year, things are starting to open up. Life is starting to look more like normal. And they're hitting the longest road trip of the year right off the bat. They're going to Carolina, Arizona, then Las Vegas. And they're actually having a team bonding a little bit sooner in Colorado. So they're going to leave a little bit sooner, actually. So they're going to be on the road for almost two weeks. Almost two weeks. I mean, this this is where the Sods and finally the Tory Krugs, we can get to know Justin Falk on a different level. I mean, this is where the relationships are really going to kind of consolidate and it's really going to make them thrive. They're going to find their game again on the road because that's where relationships are built. And I think that this is going to have a huge impact on the culture and the consistency from which we see out of this team moving forward. I'm looking forward to it. Joey, it's always great to catch up, man. I'm happy to have you back on for this regular season. Can't wait to get to the first game. We're only a couple of weeks away at this point from that first night at Colorado. Always enjoy hearing you and Curbs on the call. We'll talk with you again next week, my man. Thanks, boys. Hey, I always appreciate it. You guys have a great week. Absolutely. Same to you. That's Joey Vitale joining us here on 101 ESPN. You mentioned they've got that first road trip, man. I'm trying to imagine how much fun. So they, their first three games, they're at Colorado on Saturday. They're at Arizona on Monday. Then they are at Vegas on Wednesday. They don't play again until the following Saturday at home against L.A., that Wednesday, and then depending on when they leave to come back to St. Louis, potentially Thursday in Las Vegas, I would imagine are going to be pretty fun days to be Blues players in Las Vegas on the Strip together. Yeah, well, and you have that whole week before Colorado, which Joey mentioned they're headed to Colorado for a bonding and trip. a early. great time. Yeah, and <laughs> that's they a like perfect to, place. And they want to get the atmosphere down so that they can be ready for that game on Smart. Saturday. But that's huge. I mean, I remember years past, like they used to go on team bonding trips at the beginning of season so that they could get together. It's going to be important to have that, and that's going to be a good road trip to bond. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service Next line play game of Believe It or Not coming up next. We're right back to more of it. It's BK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. Did you forget about the song? Oh, it's just really frustrating that we have to play this it's whole like song. It's like build up to every other bit. No, but we don't build up songs. Look at what's happening to me. How do you get so excited? I can't believe Myself. BK, are you going to sing along? Suddenly I'm up on top of the it's really hard for me not to because I want to, but I really don't like this song. Go ahead. Come on. No, you want to. Come on. No. Come on. Believe it or not, I'm walking on air. 
65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for Believe It or Not. Let's start out with this one, boys. Believe it or not, the Blues will have a bottom half of the league goalie tandem this year. I was surprised to see this last night, Alex. ESPN.com put together their (laughs) rankings of the top goalie tandems in the NHL. They had the Blues at 15th overall, and that was even less concerning to me than 5th in the Central behind Colorado, Winnipeg, uh, Chicago, Nashville, and Minnesota. They were 6th, actually. 6th in the Central. 15th overall. So, believe it or not, the Blues will have a bottom half of the league goalie tandem this year. You know where I'm going to say on this one. I mean, just get get the hell out of here. 15th bottom half of the league. The Central? They're saying they have a worse goalie tandem than the Central Division. You want to know where the goalie tandems are in the Central Division, guys? Because it's not pretty. Nashville's got one legitimate starter. They just lost Pecorino. You say Soros. Bennington's better than Soros. Um, let's go through this. Chicago's got a pretty good tandem, although if they don't have Flurry, I don't know what their backup situation looks like. Minnesota? No, come on. Get the heck out of here. So uh, I'm going I'm to not believe this. I think the Blues at the end of the season will have a top 15 goaltending tandem in the National Hockey League. I think they'll top have... Top 10? Top 10's tough. I think they're going to have a top two in the Central Division, but I think they'll be top 15. I'll say somewhere between like 12 and 13. I, I think I'm not going to believe this either because I think they have a right about where you said 10, 12, 13, somewhere in that range goalie tandem. I think Huso's going to be better this year. I, I, I think he's going to take a little bit of a next step. I mean, we'll see. Well, oh, you, God. I Unbelievable. I can't believe You're going to be positive for the Cardinals, but you're not going to be Thank all in you, on Thank you, T-Bone. Huso. Unbelievable. Thank you. You should be positive like me on both I'm just going to call you Jeff Passan of hockey. Yeah. Come on. Don't believe it. I actually believe it, you jerk. I'm not believing it. This Thank does. You. Listen, like I, I get it. The Blues last year it wasn't the greatest year from their goalie tandem, but Bennington had a weird year. I don't think he's going to look like that again. I have no idea what to expect out of Huso. I really don't. I he was fine last year. I would say he's below average as a backup goalie. Uh, Bennington needs to be better. And if he is, they're going to be fine. Uh, they're going to have a really good goalie tandem that everybody's happy with. Bennington's. I remember we had so many conversations about what is the identity of the Blues last year. Jordan Bennington's a big part of it because it's gold prevention and they need him to be better than he was last year. So I'll say they have a top half of the league goalie tandem. I'd be surprised if they're in the bottom half. That that seems pretty There's low. way worse goaltending tandems in the NHL than Bennington and Absolutely. Huso. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for Believe It or Not. Believe it or not, Logan Brown is going to be a consistent member of the Blues fourth line this year. I'm going to believe this one, um, and I don't know if he'll be a consistent member of the fourth line. I think he could get an opportunity on the third line. Uh, they skated him yesterday with, I want to make sure I got this right. He was with Ivan Barbashev and Michael Froelich. That's kind of a fourth line competition, but look, he can play the penalty kill. He played some of the power plays Joey mentioned. He's a big guy, and I think if you can get some confidence in him, which Joey mentioned, you'd be looking at a guy who could be a third-line left winger, fourth-line centerman for you. So I'm going to believe this one. I think he's going to be a member of the Blues to start the season, and I think he's going to be a consistent member of the team. I think I'll believe it, too. He seems like a guy that would fit Craig Berube's system pretty well. I I think he would stay fourth-line. I don't know. He may get up to the third-line. I'm not quite sure, but I I think I'll believe that as well. I'm going to not believe it. I don't think he's going to be a consistent member of the fourth line. He may start out there, but once Oscar Sundquist gets back, I'm just not sure that he's going to be seeing consistent playing time. I think they've got potentially better options. I think he's going to be on the roster, 
but I'm not sure that he's going to be a guy that plays regularly for this team unless there are other injuries. So I'm going to say not believe it on this one, at least for now. We'll see. 65780 is the air comfort service text line from the 618. Believe it or not, you would trade Tanner for Brad Barnes in order for St. Louis to get an NFL team. I will start on this one, Alex. Believe it. I believe that in a second. Really? Would I trade Tanner for Brad Barnes, who's going to be in my wedding for an NFL team? You got somebody else else who works here that's in your wedding that's not (laughs) T-Bone or me. Yikes. I've known Barnes for like six years. How many I've known more you guys for how many year? more people are you going to throw into your wedding before us? Anthony Stalter. Well, I know that yeah, at least you got to go to the bachelor party. <laughs> That's true. That was that was that was ice cold, man. Yeah. Ice cold. Oh, he had all day. Oh, I can't wait to go to Nashville or Memphis. We and didn't go Ferrari to Nashville. Like, Thanks for Ferrari was like, oh, it's going to be. Well, I could care less. I wasn't invited. <laughs> Ferrari was like, oh, it's going to be great to go to Memphis. I'm going. Yeah, I'll be yeah. here in St. Louis at the grandparents' <laughs> basement. Great, great might have been a, baseball. Great might have been a loose term. I mean, oh. it was okay. I had a very good time. He doesn't remember half of it. Uh, I'd believe this Great one. Time. I'd get rid of T-Bone for Brad Barnes if I get an NFL yeah, team. You know what? I'm going to remember this. We love you, T-Bone, but hey, I love me Tanner, too. Tanner, you would, you would get rid of either of us. You'd no, throw us no. away in a heartbeat. No, because I'm a Rams fan. I don't, I don't need a team coming if, back If here. they told Tanner tomorrow, the Rams hey, are the coming, Rams back. Are coming yeah. back. Okay, now. And all you have to do is get rid of one of us and you get any other that you want on he the station. He didn't even need to hear what the return yeah, is. Well, He'd just say, just get rid of no, one no, of us. Yeah. It wouldn't be a trade if they offered me cash here. Now, t- Tanner would hear, hey, you're booting off one of your hosts. You get more airtime and the Rams are going to be in St. Louis. I'm in. What do I sign? I'll pay you. Yeah. Yeah, I'll give you guys. 314's got it right. Tanner stays. Football goes. Eh, we'll see. You Six, drop us in a heartbeat. You know it. 65780 is the air comfort service Only text line for Believe guys. It or Not. Believe it or not, BK has a child before Tanner has a girlfriend. <laughs> Tanner, you want to defend yourself here? Tanner's about and, to move into a new apartment. Yeah. He's going to have a girlfriend hey, here pretty soon. That's how you get girlfriends, the man. The Tinder game is going to be I on heard fire. that they're nicknaming his new apartment the Chick Magnet. I thought that's what his nickname nope, was. No, they're bringing it back, but instead of it being him, it's the apartment now. You'll see a poster when you walk in the door. You is know it, what he needs? Is he, that like the Shaggin' Wagon from Dumb and Dumber? Very different. Um, he needs He needs a puppy. Because that's a true chick magnet. That's true. A puppy I got my wife from a puppy. Walking around mm-hmm. that that apartment complex with a, with a puppy, man. That's the way you do it, right there. That's yeah. the way you do it. Yeah. I had I got a dog, a little little Shorky. Sent a picture of it to Katie. We went on our date, and then we got married. I'm telling you, not the next day, but four oh, years later, we oh. got married. So puppies yeah, I was are a where it's confused at. Confused when he got married. BK got Kara with uh, with Bell. I'm assuming. Nope. We got her together. Oh, okay. I got Kara with my good looks charm. <laughs> Six, five, seven, eight. Oh, see how fast he got off of that real quick. For believe it or not, just a couple more here. We'll let the text you. line handle that. Believe it or not, Dylan Carlson will hit at least 25 home runs in a season within the next three years. 25 plus homers in a season. He has 17 now after his home run today against the Brewers. I'll believe this because I think he, I think he next season is going to have some protection behind him as well. Uh, you know, Yachty might be hitting behind him next year. If they go out and get themselves a big bat, he might move up to the leadoff spot, depending on what they do in the offseason. I'll believe this one because I think he just needs some protection behind him like Tyler O'Neill did. Yeah, I think I'm going to believe it, too. After seeing him this year, it's been kind of a quiet uh, 17 home runs from him. I, I think I think he has a potential as he gets older because he's only going to get better as he goes. He's only 22 years old. This is his rookie season. 
I think he has a potential to even be a 30 home run guy. He's going to have to work on his pop from the, which side was he told us during the break? When he's going up against righties this year, the slugging percentage just hasn't been there. So batting from the left side, he's a 400 slugging percentage guy this year against righties, 500 against left-handed pitchers. It's been significantly better hitting from the right side of the plate. So, and I think he'll get better on the left side as he gets older and starts to kind of grow into himself. So, I, I think I believe this. I think he has potential to be a thirty homer guy. I'm with you. I be, I'm believing this. Dylan Carlson has quietly had a pretty darn good season for a guy that is 22 years old. I think I think sometimes we expected too much out of him, but overall, when you get to the end of the season, he's going to have close to 20 home runs and bat about 265. That's a really good year, man. That's a really good season from a rookie. So I'm believing this. I think he is going to end up hitting at least 25 home runs within the next few years. Final question. Believe it or not, the Cardinals beat Max Scherzer and the Dodgers in the wild card game. Friar, go ahead. Uh, you want to throw me under the bus first? Yeah. Sure. Alex? Alex? Uh, don't hate me, St. Louis, but I'm not going to believe this. You are one pathetic I loser. I know. I'm sorry. I just... Max Scherzer is a beast, man. Like he is just, I mean, he sounds like Serena Williams on the mound, like grunting with every pitch that he throws. I think the Cardinals are going to make it competitive because I think Wayno is going to pitch a gem. I think you're going to be looking at a 0-0-1-1 baseball game and then the bullpens come into play, but I'm not going to believe it. Clip all of that. Tanner? Oh, we're going to start clipping things? Yeah, I'll believe it. <laughs> you didn't tell me we were clipping things. Yeah, I'll believe it. I, I think they have a chance. They have a chance. And I'll, I'll, oh, I'll believe on. it now. That is At the least most I was honest. nonsense I've ever heard from you on this station. As BK once said, say it with chest. He doesn't believe it. I'm believing it. I don't want to be clipped. Of course, you don't believe it either. I mentioned earlier, I talked about all of the numbers. The Cardinals match up favorably when it comes to their um, their offense against the Dodgers offense. Not just over the last 17, 18 games now, but since August 1st, the Cardinals have had a better offense overall than the L.A. Dodgers have. If you look at the pitching in that matchup, Max Scherzer in his last two starts, not great, boys. I think that they're going to win that game. I'm going to believe it. The Cardinals are going to get to the NLDS, and ain't nobody stopping them from there. They're going to the World Series afterwards. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved (laughs) in the show. Coming up next, we'll do a quick college football whip around with a couple of the big questions heading into this weekend here on 101 ESPN. This is exactly where you want to be listening to us. It's BK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Time for some college football. We haven't talked college football so far this week because the Cardinals have been playing so damn well, and you know they clinched playoff berths. So let's get into a little bit of it's this. Not an Alex. excuse. It's the first time that we've been able to talk about that Mizzou game since the loss on Saturday against Boston College. How much, in your opinion, have the losses against Boston College and Kentucky taken down the level of excitement for Mizzou fans? Well, considering I was ready to give him an SEC championship, I would say it drops a lot, but I, you were. I, I think the the offense is still exciting. It's the defense that I think is a concern. And, and from, from a Mizzou fan myself, like every time I watch it, it does drop it a little bit because the offense can go out and do something. Beatty can score touchdowns, and I'm thinking, oh, man, look at this guy go. 
but you know, the defense is coming. So I would say it's dropped a, a little bit. It hasn't dropped significantly because it does. It's a work in progress with Drinkwitz, but it's dropped a little for me. Yeah, I think the, the offense has been pretty darn good. If you look at some of the more advanced metrics, they're a top 25 offense in college football this year. They're scoring like 30 points on average. That's pretty darn good. You'll take that. The problem is the defense is atrocious. They can't stop the run against anybody, and it's not getting any better. It's a personnel issue, and that's not going to change this season. So my excitement for the season has gone down a little bit just because the, the ceiling looks like it's going to be 6-6. Six and six. And that's disappointing. But if they're able to beat Tennessee on Saturday, that will bring my excitement back up a little bit because that's a pretty good win for them. And it's at home. Got to win that one. This is a, a pretty basically a must win at home against Tennessee on Saturday. Yeah, I think excitement's dropped just a little bit. And I'll be honest, I think Drink was kind of his charisma is great for recruiting and building up the excitement. But then when things don't live up to expectations, it kind of hurts him a little bit. And with the two losses so far, that's where I think it hurts him. But I'm, I'm not too concerned about them moving forward. Ne- I, they'll be fine. Next question, college football related as we go around college football. Clemson lost to NC State on Saturday, boys. Yeah. That is a massive good, loss. And the ACC stinks. That entire conference is no good. Well, They're fine, but they don't have anybody that is worthy of a college football playoff nod at this point. Is this the worst conference in America when you're looking at the top five? 100% it is. I mean, if you don't have Clemson as dominant as they've been in the past, you don't have an ACC team that's like, oh, yeah, they could legitimately be a threat. In my opinion, this might be the end of Clemson for a while. Like, okay. I mean, let's calm down. What? Well, you believing in Uni? Uwe. Uwe. No, Uni. Uni. Yeah. Uni? Uni. Uni. I don't know, man. Yeah, they they have been disappointing. Clemson, I, I Clemson have not might been impressed stink by for the next and couple of years. Had, their offensive line has not been very good. They might stink for the next couple of years. Okay. They're going to be fine. Oh, geez. I'm, I'm backing away from what Alex just College said. College football guy over here. Oh, and nine. I, oh, no, one and eight. And I, we got our way back last week. I'm, I'm three and nine now. Come on. Um, Clemson is going to be a okay. I'm not betting on them against the spread because I'm horrible at that. But if you gave me a futures bet on Clemson to win a national title in the next three years, I think I would probably take that because Clemson recruits at such an unbelievably high level. They're, they're going to be back. This year is just not their year. I'm going to be honest. I think the ACC and Pac-12 are going to be in a race for the worst conference because Pac-12, they have Oregon. Big 12 ain't much better. No, Big 12 is not much better. The Big 10 and SEC, hell, they might have two teams from each conference that could make the playoff. Pac-12, sure, they've got Oregon and they've looked good. I'm not really sold in on them yet. It took them a while to get going against a terrible Arizona team that last weekend. So I think it could be a three-conference race for the worst. Next one up, mentioning the Big 12 there. How many times do we have to see Oklahoma underperform before we realize that they're just not a very good football team this year? They're still ranked in the top six. I understand they're undefeated, but they nearly lost against Tulane. They played horribly against Nebraska, who Illinois beat. They end up beating West Virginia last week by three points. At what point, Alex, do we say this team's just not very good and they're not deserving of being a top 10 team in college football right now? It's not so much Oklahoma as it's more Spencer Rattler, too. Like, I'm I'm kind of sick of hearing this guy being in the Heisman conversation, and I'm surprised people are still even talking about it because by no means has he looked like a Heisman winner. Like, compared to the previous Heisman winners, Trevor Lawrence, he just doesn't have for his backup. Yeah. He just doesn't have the same. He doesn't have the same kind of spark that those guys had. So yeah, I'm done on Oklahoma. 
I'm done too. I, I was not big on Rattler coming into the year. Neither was I with you, Youngle. I, I I think that both guys are kind of overrated. Both teams are kind of feeling yeah. that effect. I'll say it now. They're going down this weekend on the road to Kansas State. They're ten and a half point favorites. K State's going to win it. They might. They are. My stupid West Virginia cost me a parlay. That's what I'm going to say. <laughs> All right, last one here. I've BKO'd an airline before. Did I BKO Iowa State? Do I owe Iowa State fans an apology? Yeah. They were my team before the season. You remember during my FanDuel reads, I was saying, hey, if you want to get an, a long shot bet on a college football team to win in the national championship, the team you should do it on is Iowa State. I loved Brees Hall as a legit Heisman candidate this year. He has 400 yards. He's been fine, but he has not been the guy that I expected him to be. And Iowa State as a whole is now two and two on the year. They lost that Iowa game and now they lost at Baylor. Did I BKO Iowa yeah, State? You just need to stop talking about football teams. Hey, it's okay. okay. Hey, it's okay. I picked North Carolina as my long shot, and they Ooh, lost one week two. one. Hey, well, I, I AKO'd um, Mizzou with my damn hey, You fat. said they were going to win yeah. 10 games. Yeah, I said I they were going to win the you. SEC championship, too. <laughs> Yikes. Not great. Not great. He's Alex Ferrario. He's the one with the bad takes. That's Tanner Hendricks, and he's solid. I'm Brandon Kylie. Yeah, you can make your decision on what you think about me. The crossover is next on 101 ESPN. Time now for the crossover on 101 ESPN. to win a pair of tickets to see the Cardinals take on the Cubs this Saturday night at Bush Stadium. 30,000 fans ages 16 or older will take home their very own Paul Goldschmidt bobblehead courtesy of Purina. Get all the details on Saturday's Paul Goldschmidt bobblehead giveaway at cardinals.com slash promotions. But right now at 65780, that's the Air Comfort Service text line. If you are texter number 101 and you answer this question correctly, you will be taking home a pair of tickets to this Saturday night's game at Bush Stadium. Question is, what kind of animal was messing with the truck that we talked about earlier today in the drunk drawer? What was the type of animal that was messing with the truck that we talked about earlier today? If you get that question correct in your text number 101, you win the pair of tickets. Time to cross things over with the fast lane. We've got former superstar defenseman Jamie Rivers in studio. Jamie, what's up, man? Not much. Uh, excited to uh, talk some Cardinals baseball. The The streak is over, unfortunately, but... Uh... You know what? That doesn't really matter anymore. Jamie, were you upset with Mike Schilt's lineup decision yesterday to not continue with the win streak? Uh, no, I don't really care. Look at yesterday. <laughs> what, what I said yesterday. I thought you were upset because they sit all the starters. No, not in this kind of a situation. First of all, the starters are probably just absolutely ham sauced still by the time the game was played <laughs> last night. Frankly, um, I'm amazed Lars Newpark could play. But uh, I just look at fun. it. I just look at it as the guys who got inserted in the lineup, they're probably going to play harder for you than the guys that were you know, still half hungover or still half ham-sauced. And you give those guys an opportunity to contribute again. I wasn't upset at all with Mike Schilt doing it the way it was this time. Brandon was. No, I actually said that I I think there are some positives to come from the fact that they lost that game last night. And I know that's kind of counterproductive. Like, you don't want to lose games, but now you don't have to talk about the streak anymore if you're one of those players. That's not a monkey that's on your back. And it wasn't the starters that lost that game. It was the guys that were replacing them. So there isn't some sort of, like, funk that you could potentially go into. It was, it was a lot of the B team that was out there last night. So... 
I think you start a new streak now and you go into this weekend and hopefully you play really well, carry that momentum into the playoffs. I think there are, are some positives that you can take from them losing that particular game last night, especially after they clinched. Yeah, I I don't look at it as a big negative. I look at it as, quite honestly, that it was an opportunity for uh, guys who don't play as much. Look at, look at what Rondon ended up doing yesterday. If he doesn't get that stage to go out there and do that, are we even talking about him that much today? No, he's been pretty solid off the bench, you know, whatever. <laughs> no, but now we're like, okay, you know what? That's legit. So if we have a problem now with Mundo Sosa headed into the wild card game, are we thinking maybe how about Tommy Edmund at short and maybe Rondon at second? I don't know. I'm kind of I'm I'm mulling it over. It's an interesting idea. I didn't even think of that, but I you think know, I might I mean, be looking at that. I understand you have Paul DeYoung and all, but Tommy Edmund is more effective than Paul DeYoung. I would have put Tommy Edmund at shortstop during this stretch. I, I would have seen what that looks like because I, I'm more interested in finding out what those other second base options can do than I am what Paul DeYoung can do. The Cardinals clearly aren't. I'm and telling you, I think you're wrong. I think Mike Schilt at this point, I think he's going to go with what works because. He did his own thing. He's taken a lot of abuse this year from a lot of people with his gosh darn it and golly gee and the guys are scratching and clawing. Now find out guys, you know, love this guy. The, every player, not all, every player, but a lot of players coming out and, and voicing their their opinion that they really like Mike Schilt and the way he handled all of the ups and downs of the season. And he's pulled the trigger on a few things. Paul DeYoung's no longer your start, starting shortstop. Who would have thought that would have happened? No matter what, we would have thought, you know, ah, there's no way sure. he'll do that. Well, he did do that. I think in a one-game wild card against the Dodgers, if it happens to be that way, I think Mike Schilt, Mike Schilt will pull out all the stops. I've got my fingers crossed that Amundo Sosa is ready. So mm-hmm. fing- hopefully, yeah, hopefully we see it on this weekend and none of this ends up even being a conversation. Uh, Jamie, speaking of conversations, what do you guys have coming up today on the fast lane, my man? Well, we're, we're obviously going to talk about the the Cardinals and you know what their playoff roster might look like uh, in the wild card game as well as the NLDS, what that could be. Jack Flaherty. We're going to talk to uh, the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber, talk a little bit about training camp and you know the Blues last night in Columbus, who looked good and who's looking like they could have a shot at making this team. And we're going to have a lot of fun. Looking forward to that. That's coming up from 2 to 6. We'll be back tomorrow at 11 right here on 101 ESPN. Go ahead. Come on. No, you want to. Come on. Come on. Believe it or not, I'm walking on air. Peloton's best offer of the season is here. Get up to $300 off accessories when you purchase a Peloton bike, Bike Plus, or Tread. Choose from a variety of accessories, like our cycling shoes, a heart rate monitor, non-slip grip dumbbells, and more. If you've been looking for a sign to join Peloton, this offer gives you everything you need to get going. This limited-time offer ends November 28th. Visit OnePeloton.com to learn more. All access membership separate. Offer starts November 14th and ends November 28th. Cannot be combined with other offers. See additional terms at OnePeloton.com. The Wendy's $3 breakfast deal is here. Get a bacon or sausage egg and Swiss croissant plus a small seasoned potatoes. That's a better breakfast for just three bucks in three easy steps. One, wake up. (sighs) Two, get out of bed. And three, head to Wendy's for your $3 breakfast deal. Choose wisely. Choose Wendy's $3 breakfast deal. Limited time only. Participating U.S. Wendy's during breakfast hours. Select or request $3 breakfast deal in order to obtain discount. Not valid for all Carter combos orders. Price and participation may vary in Alaska and Hawaii.